Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast. This is Josh. With me tonight, of course, is Luca. Luca, how's it going tonight? It is a wonderful time of year. I am fantastic. Liverpool just punched their spot to the Champions League final. Going to give them a quick shout out here. It's playoff hockey season. I mean, how can we not love? I mean, uh, hold on. Of course, the NFL draft also happened this past weekend. So sports as a sports fan, what a time of year it is. I am pumped. I'm electrically awake right now because of Liverpool mainly, but uh, I'm pumped. I'm, I'm wide awake, wide awake. We'll let you be pumped about that. It's understandable. You're a diehard fan, but don't worry. We're not going to waste time on this show talking about Liverpool. Luca, we wasted enough time last week. You uh, you tracked the numbers. We talked for over an hour about Brees Hall, who did not wind up becoming a Buffalo Bill. What was the total about on talking about him? It was one hour, eight minutes and 43 seconds. Exactly. One hour, eight minutes and 43 seconds of our lives we will not get back, but it was good conversation and not to pat ourselves on the back. We did point you in the direction very, very closely of Kair Elam, who did end up being the first overall pick of the bills and said he was one of the four guys we really saw being that pick. And I highlighted him along with Kyler Gordon as the two cornerbacks we thought were most likely even ahead of Andrew Booth. We're going to get into all of that. So here's how tonight's episode is going to go. We are recording this on Tuesday night. The draft obviously happened over the course of last weekend, starting last Thursday. The expectation is if you're listening to Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast, we kind of go in with the assumption that you know who the Bills picked. We're not going to sit here and just read the draft results to you. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back pick by pick, kind of walk through how it happened, recap what we were thinking as it happened, whether we liked the pick or not. And then also kind of recap some Brandon Bean press conferences from Thursday night, Friday night. So we're going to go in a very timeline order to get all the way through all the Bills picks. And we're going to talk about all those players. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, We are going to bring back the big three game tonight. I'm looking forward to that, Luca, because we are going to go a little off script. Usually the big three is Buffalo Bills related drought topics. But tonight... Since we're going to be spending the majority of the show talking about the Buffalo Bills draft, and since the draft is so fresh, we are going to be drafting our favorite picks from this year's draft that are non-Buffalo Bills picks. I am looking forward to that. Yeah, Luca. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, my apologies. I wanted to just step in and say how excited I am just because, I mean, I think as Bills fans, it's sometimes exciting to see where other players are going to different teams, whether you are happy about it or upset about it is a totally different thing, but it's, it's just fun to see some of these guys come out of the draft and they're not necessarily bills, but you can still root for them depending on where they went. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we decided to go that route with the big three tonight. So Luca, before we get into the specific picks and drill into starting with Kair Elam, just on the whole high level view, looking at the bills draft class, And before I even ask you how you feel about it, you have your finger on the pulse of Bill's Mafia, both on Twitter and just in your friendship circle. What do you feel the overall reaction of Bill's fans was to this draft? Overall, it was it was positive. I mean, I want to say positive because I don't think it was, you know, super exciting. You know, there weren't a ton of people, you know, jumping for joy. But I'm not saying that as a way of, you know, anyone was upset about it either. It was definitely a positive reaction. It was it was almost like one of those picks where so all that Brees Hall smoke, as we talked about, was there. It was really, you know, driving a conversation of are we really going to do this? Are we going to spend this kind of 
valuable asset on a running back, even with how valuable that would be to our offense and what it could do for us offensively, you know, how great that could be. Are we really going to do this with pick 25? And yet all that said, our length of talk on it and they went with the sensible pick, right? It, it, I think sensible is a great way to put it. You know, it, it makes sense. It, it, we have a need at corner, whether you are considering it as an immediate need or just overall, we would love to have an improvement at corner two, opposite of Trey. And they clearly loved a guy and they, you know, moved up and I'm sure you'll touch on that soon but they moved up to get the guy they liked at that position. And it makes sense as a pick. And, and overall, I don't think it's, I don't think you can be upset with it. I don't think anyone could. I am relieved because a few episodes back, I did say, if we do not take a corner, I will be pissed. Obviously I retracted it a little bit and became a little more sensical, but or sensible, but still overall happy about it. I'm glad I didn't have to be pissed off about trying to wrap my head around another pick. I think corner was a great way to go about it. And I think Kyer Elam, as we have now learned since taking him was a phenomenal pick. Yeah, I liked it too. And I will say, I I thought the reaction from at least Bill's fans, content creators that I see was more mixed than I expected. And I have a theory on that. Um, I, I saw fans that were like, well, wait a minute. Why do we take the linebacker in the third round? We needed interior offensive line depth. Or why do we wait till the fifth round to take a wide receiver? Or why did we draft a punter? Or why didn't we draft Brees Hall? And my theory on that is it's human nature to be your own worst critic. Just think about yourself, any whoever you are listening out there, anytime you look in the mirror. It doesn't matter what you're wearing, how nice your hair looks, how nice your clothes look. If there is something sticking out to you that you view as a flaw, it's going to be the first thing you look at. Think about when you're filling out your resume for a job interview. You could have all this experience and all this professional training, but you're going to sit there and agonize over something that you think is a poorly worded sentence that nobody else in the world would notice. I think that attitude goes towards our football teams too. Sports fans, whatever team you love, you tend to view your team through a much more critical lens because you live and die with this team. And it's almost like every other team out there, they have their problems, but since they aren't front and center in our minds, we're not thinking about it. So sitting here as Bills fans, we're thinking, man, you know, and this is just what I think was like the general response to the draft. Kyer Elam was a cool pick. I don't know if we need to give up a fourth round pick to go get him. We'll get into that. Uh, Second round pick, James Cook. That was a good running back, but you know, the, the magazine I have or the website I read said Isaiah Spiller was a better running back. Third round pick. Do we really need to take a linebacker there? There was some offensive line depth there that could have really helped us. Did we really draft a punter? Man, we, if we would have had that fourth round pick, maybe we could have gotten Calvin Austin. So you start factoring in things that you wish could have gone different. We're going to get into all that tonight. But if you take a step back and you realize that the Bills are just one of 32 teams, And I did a lot of listening to the pulse of other fan bases this week. And I can tell you, every fan base out there has their issues. One, the Chicago Bears. We're going to get into them tonight, especially when it comes to the fifth round. But you want to talk about a team that has a young quarterback, Justin Fields, going into his second year, the same second year that Josh Allen was going into when they brought in Cole Beasley and John Brown. They did nothing to help him on the offensive line or wide receivers, and they actually traded out of a pick that got the Bills a wide receiver that was large, largely viewed as one of the steals of the draft. The Tennessee Titans, 
Okay, they got Malik Willis, third round. Great value. They traded away A.J. Brown, their bright young star receiver. One of the best things going about the team. I listened to some Titans calls this week on their radio show, and it was just stunned fans trying to talk themselves into it. But you could just tell the conversation kept coming back to, do we really know what we're doing? The Minnesota Vikings, everybody says, oh, in the draft, you want to trade down, you want to trade down, you want to trade down, accumulate picks. Look what the Vikings did. First round, they trade down to the Lions in their own division so the Lions can get Jamison Williams. In the second round, they trade down to the Green Bay Packers in their own division so the Packers can get Christian Watson. Luca, remind me, which two receivers did you and I pinpoint as the two most dynamic receivers in this draft? Uh, I believe that would be Jamison Williams and Christian Watson. So the Vikings traded out, brought in the two most dynamic receivers into their division. And to cover those guys, they brought in Andrew Booth, who you and I both love as a prospect, but he has a laundry list of medical issues. And they also, in the second round, drafted a guard who, by most accounts, had a fifth round grade and has a rap sheet legally going on. So that's a lot of fun for them. Um, what's a team that, and look, I, you think I'm cherry picking teams that had a bad draft. You're like, well, wait a minute. Everybody says Baltimore had a great draft. Try poking holes in them. Okay. I will Baltimore similar to Chicago. They have a quarterback out there who is coming up for a contract. And for the most part, people have said they haven't done a great job of putting receivers around him. Now I think they got good value for Hollywood Brown, but the fact remains they lost Hollywood Brown and did nothing to replace him in the draft. And then with that pick they got for Hollywood Brown, they drafted the center, Tyler Lindenbaum. Everybody says, oh, what great value. The best center in the draft. The Ravens, they just they just understand how to draft better than everybody. There's a show on um, Pro Football Focus called NFL Stock Exchange with Connor Rogers and Trevor Sikama. I love those guys. I learned so much about football from those guys. Connor Rogers said, Tyler Lindenbaum is a great player, great center. He is an absolute awful fit for the Ravens. They are a power scheme, and he is a zone blocker. He's undersized. He's not a powerful player. And he's like, this is a fish out of water fit. I don't understand what they're thinking here. And it seems like they got a little too cute with it. Now, look, you can have your opinions on it. I'm just telling you, it's very easy when you just look at your team and you just look at what your team did to think, oh man, there's flaws here. There's flaws here. We could have done a little bit better here. It just, it could be perfect if we just did this, this, and this. I'm telling you, no matter what you think, you want to talk about New England, our friends over there in New England, (laughs) um, no matter what you think about your team, other teams out there, their fans are questioning what they did over the weekend. And unfortunately, None of us really know the answers until three or four years from now when a lot of these guys that we think are great are out of the league. Uh, But overall, Luca, I thought the Bills did solid. Uh, We talked about it last week. They really had to address that cornerback two position. Uh, We both kind of bit the cheese on the Brees Hall stuff. We'll get into that when we talk about the first round pick. But I thought they were smart. I thought they hit, you know, a couple of really solid areas. Um, The third round pick, the linebacker, caught me a little bit off guard. And we'll get into why now that I've had some time to think about it, the pick does make sense to me. But overall, I think they got probably four or five guys that have a real serious path to helping the team out this year in a meaningful way. Maybe a couple more that can help out on special teams. And then, you know, a couple guys that just might have trouble making the roster. Um, Any more thoughts on the Bills draft as a whole before we start diving into each pick? 
I mean, I think you nailed the, you know, hit the nail on the head with the overall picture of it. And I think pointing out around the league, there is definitely more skepticism about the teams and their fan bases with those teams rather than us, where, yes, there are always going to be people that don't agree with certain things. But when you think of the big picture and you look at this draft, when it comes to both immediate impact as well as potential future impact, I think the Bills did a very good job with, you know, understanding needs how important they were and the best way to fill them as they could with this current draft in the class that was presented in front of them. I think they did a as good as you could hope for, right? And then the other part is, you know, and we'll discuss it more and more, is everyone always feels good about their draft outside of it. But I think the fact that I felt comfortable, and I, I want to say that again, I felt comfortable with pretty much every pick. Like it, you know, as you mentioned, the linebacker may have been the one that threw a bit of a curveball at us. But other than that, everything else was kind of like, yeah, it, you can you can easily make a reasoning for it of why it happened, how it broke down and where you think they're going with it. When you can easily pick that out as a fan, you're not even sitting in the room and be able to understand why they did what, where, when and how and why. I think that's a good thing. I think that makes you feel like you have a good idea what's going on and you you they understand what's going on as well. Like everyone's seeing the same product. We're all understanding where our team lies and hopefully they are just making the right final decision in fulfilling those needs or holes that this roster has. What I thought this draft did is I thought it was a good blend of addressing immediate need, but also keeping one eye on the future. When you're a team like the bills that is in a Super Bowl window and you have a team that was with an eyelash of hosting the AFC championship game last year, was in the AFC championship game the year before. It's very easy to make short-sighted moves. We talked about last week. In a sense, Von Miller was a short-sighted move. His age, the contract they gave him, it's going to help them out for the next couple of years, but he's on the books for three years, whether he declines or not. Brees Hall in the first round would have been a short-sighted move. Running backs in the first round almost never age gracefully. We, Luca, had talked ourselves into if they take Brees Hall, we almost accept the fact that he'll be gone in four or five years. And that's fine because he'll be a big part of the next four or five years. Instead, the Bills took a cornerback who's 20 years old. So, Luca, let's get into that. First round is going and picks are coming off the board as they tend to do in the draft. And we get to number 23. The Bills are sitting at 25, but aha. Now the Bills are on the clock. They have traded up to number 23 with the Baltimore Ravens, the pick that Baltimore actually got for Hollywood Brown. And they select the cornerback out of Florida, Kair Elam. He is six foot one and a half, 196 pounds. He ran a 4-3-8 40-yard dash. Also, players available to the Bills at the time they picked Elam were the much talked about Brees Hall. I'm not going to name every player that's available. I'm just going to try to hit on the high ones that we think were really in play for the Bills. Um, Kyler Gordon, Andrew Booth, uh, Lewis Seen, the safety, and then a couple of receivers, Christian Watson and Sky Moore. I think those were the main players that were in consideration. Luca, I'm going to tell you, I was prepared for when the Bills got on the clock to really be sweating it out until Roger Goodell said the name. And I was bracing for, I'm not even saying in a bad way, because I had gotten myself to the point where I was excited about the idea of Brees Hall. I was bracing for, is he going to say Brees or is he going to say a cornerback's name? When the Bills traded up to 23, to me, 
the Brees Hall conversation died. There was no scenario in my brain where they traded up for Brees Hall, particularly to get ahead of the Dallas Cowboys who have Ezekiel Elliott and have Tony Pollard. The Cowboys were not taking Brees Hall. We had talked about before, if the Bills don't take Brees Hall, there's a good chance he falls out of the first round, which he ended up doing. So once they traded up, Luca, I knew the Brees Hall conversation was dead before the pick was announced. Did you have the same response? Exact same response. I was definitely, when they hit the, you know, when the Steelers picked at 20 and we moved on to 21 and the Patriots, that was obviously when we're starting to look at the Bills coming up soon. And at that point in time, when the Patriots were picking, I was actually at my peak with trying to mentally prepare for that Brees Hall pick. I think that was the height of my belief in the smoke, we'll call it. And then, as you said, as soon as the trade was announced that the Bills went up two spots to 23, that entire world and scenario just just left my brain. It was like, there is no chance they make that move for Brees Hall. Like the only, the only thing I saw them doing to take Brees Hall, you know, if not at 25 would have been trading back, right? They fell to 25. They, there was nothing else they really liked there at the end of the day. And then we're like, all right, let's see if we can trade back into the, you know, the late first, early second, maybe someone wants to come up here to grab someone else. Like at that point you had a Devin Lloyd or something, right? So that was where the Brees Hall could have come into play if we want to play that out, you know, in our head. Luckily, we don't because, yeah, as you put it, they trade up to 23 and it's like, nope, that's gone. There's clearly one corner they want to make sure is there. That was kind of exactly where my head went. I was like, this is a corner pick. It's you You only trade up for need. And it, when the need becomes desperate, you're going to do what you need to to get a guy you love. Thankfully, you know, they did, you know, I don't want to say thankfully, thankfully, that's what it turned out to be, we'll say. Um, But that's what I would have assumed. And that's kind of in my mindset at that moment in time when it was announced, we traded up to 23. That's exactly where my head was at. I was like, it's going to be a corner. Now, which one is it going to be? So what's important to note is the wide receiver run happened very, very early. By the time the bills were on the clock, there was just no wide receiver that was realistically in conversation. Both the guards had gone off the board, Zion Johnson and Kenyon Green, although we did kind of rule out guard last week, pinpointing that Breen really has not been, Brandon Bean has not been overly aggressive in filling the guard role, treating it more like a Band-Aid position than a full-time fix. Um, So when you looked at it, to me, it did come down to cornerback or Brees Hall. And it's to me, the tipping point for the trade-up happened at pick 21. You mentioned New England was on the clock, and that's when the Chiefs, leapfrogged up to 21 to take Trent McDuffie. In my mind, Luca, I am still not convinced that the Bills had Trent McDuffie rated ahead of Kyir Elam. I do think that the Bills had Kyir Elam as their, I do know based on what Brandon Bean said, has him as their last rated player in the first round at that point in time. And when McDuffie goes off the board, I think Bean wasn't necessarily like, oh, shoot, there went the guy we want. We got to make sure we get someone else. I think Bean was thinking, oh, shoot, here comes another cornerback run. We better get up there and get Elam. That's just my read. I have thought all along the builds weren't going to be as high on Trent McDuffie because of his shorter arms. I could be wrong on that. I really like Trent McDuffie. I think it's a tremendous pick for the Chiefs. But to me, once they trade up, it really came down to um, Kair Elam and more. And to me, it just... The more you think about it, the age difference, the measurables, they went with the guy who is 20 years old, has 
length. He's six one and a half. He is a blazing speedster, and he has just room to grow. And what did we talk about through this entire draft process, Luca? Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott have a history of maximizing the potential of their defensive backs. Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, Taron Johnson, Tredavious White, Levi Wallace. The list goes on and on. And now what we gave them is a we, I say like like we should take credit for it. They have a 20-year-old ball of clay who, if you start reading up on him, which I would I'm sure all of you have been doing since the draft, and I know I have, just a kid that really wants to be the best version of himself. And that was very evident in the Bills embedded video at the combine where he's showing them all the notes he takes on himself and talking about all the self-improvement that he looks for. And you could just see Sean McDermott squirming in his seat, like, oh my God, bring this guy to me. And then I just think about what this means for the defense now. When Trey White gets healthy is now you have two cornerbacks that can play man defense. So the Bills now, they've upgraded their pass rush with Von Miller, but they've also given themselves the flexibility to change up how they play defense. I was listening to the Cover One draft recap show, and they did so many over the weekend that it's hard to remember which one it was. But Eric Turner did a good job of explaining, saying, hey, look, I understand these guys had the number one defense in the league last year, but I really feel like that they've maximized what this particular scheme can do. And the read I get on what he was saying, I don't want to paraphrase what he was saying. Please go listen to it. It was great. Is when it comes time to play the big dogs, the Bucks, the Chiefs, they just know how to abuse the zone defense of the Bills. And the Bills, especially when Trey White went down, just did not have that counterpunch to play man. I think that's going to change this year. I don't think the Bills are going to be a predominantly man defense. No team really is in the NFL in 2022. Last year, the team that played the most man defense in the entire league was the Miami Dolphins, and that was less than 50% of the time. Surprisingly, the Bills ranked eighth in man defense, which caught me way off guard. That was a Joe Biscalia uh, nugget from his podcast. But I think Kair Elam and Trey White gives them the, the ability to do more blitzing of Hyde and Poyer, who are excellent at it, to blitz Edmonds, who I think, while he hasn't done a lot of it since he's been in the league, has that skill set to do it. We know Milano can blitz, and it just gives you more ammunition in your chamber to throw at the offense and with the offense, the bills bring out there. Sometimes you only need one or two extra stops a game and you're going to win. So this pick made a lot of sense um, for the Brees hall where it would have been four or five years and he's done. I think the expectation is if Kyrie Elam hits, he'll be here for the next decade and a half. And that's exciting. Um, any final thoughts on Kyrie Elam? No, you did a great job. Um, I think the the interview, just to bring it up one more time, I mean, when he breaks out a notebook, and this isn't, you know, just five, 10 pages, this thing clearly was just filled of notes and everything like that. And he's discussing how he wants to be better. He takes notes. It's a copycat league. It's like, you know, when they say you say all the right things, you know, you wonder if a guy is just saying it to say it or if they mean it. You could tell with a guy of his caliber this, you know, he wasn't just breaking that notebook out for them just to show like, oh yeah, look what I do in my spare time. This is no big deal. I just want to show you guys this because I know this is what you want to hear. That meant something to him. Like clearly he's a guy who strives to be better and better and he's, he's dedicated to his craft. And I think that's huge. I think, you know, the classic McBean person is someone of that caliber and nature. Um, 
I think another point you brought up that I kind of want to expand on is, you know, the the concept that maybe they want to, you know, diversify how they operate this defense and and what they can do with it. And there was a uh, article that I know you had linked in our Discord, and I I can't give them the proper credit because I don't want to open up the Discord and and open that uh, story at this point in time, but. An interesting point that was brought up in that story was when Brandon Bean was discussing Kair. And I think an interesting point was he was talking about Trey as well. And he's and he talked about, you know, when we have a certain type of wide receiver that we have to game plan against, that's someone we want Trey and we're comfortable with Trey taking care of. But now if we have a tall, lengthy receiver we need to match up against, that's where Kair could possibly step in and really take advantage of that kind of matchup. And the fact that he was thinking matchup based, based on who the opponent's skill and what they would be great at and what their, you know, their weapons can be, I think that does really point to, you know, confirm what you were thinking. I, I think there is definitely something in the back of their mind where they want to have more ability to change things on the fly and create different looks for this defense so that we don't get caught in singular zone looks and just kind of stuck in our ways. Obviously, the Trey White injury created that problem later, late in the season and in the playoffs and stuff where you're limited just based on personnel. But bringing in someone like Kyir just adds another individual that you're hopefully comfortable with down the road to then not have to get put into that shell, even if an injury were to come up, you know, God forbid, hopefully not with Trey again, but someone else that, you know, you can still try to do different looks and do different things that, as you pointed out, one more stop could literally win a game rather than lose it. So you want to have as much ammunition as possible. And then just, just a wrap, wrap it all in a boat. I don't know if you watched the little, um, uh, being segment in the McAfee show earlier, I think it was yesterday. Um, but, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to, uh, the thought process of being with Kyrie Pickett specifically, he was, as we pointed out that his last first round graded player on the board, I do think McDuffie was also a first round, uh, graded player. And why I say that is on McAfee, he specifically pointed out that pick. And I want to say it was on McAfee. There was a couple appearances he's made already, you know, post draft. But yeah, he was on WGR twice and then McAfee the same day. So they're blending together in my brain, too. He was on PFTPM yesterday as well with uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, With Big Cat? No, 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 no. No, PFTPM. Oh, PFTPM. Geez, my brain is on the wrong spot. (laughs) Yeah. uh, (laughs) Hard my takes. Mike Florio. Florio. Thank you. And like, yeah, he was just doing like media everywhere, which is awesome. I love it. But on McAfee, I want to say he pointed out the McDuffie pick and Kansas City trading up to get him. And he just wanted to make sure, you know, he 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 actually said even he expected another run at corners. So to to me, not to take your line from you, but to me, that was him indicating McDuffie and Elam may have been the last two guys on his day one board. And he was like, F it. We need to make sure that last guy up there doesn't leave. I don't care if it costs a fourth. Like he said, it was already queued up kind of. And then as we even saw on the insight, he points to, I can't remember who he points to in the room. He goes, you know, make the call. He picks up the phone. He's like, yeah, we'll do it. Like it was like he was ready for the scenario. So I I think you actually, apparently you you didn't hear that point or maybe it was in the back of your head and you just forgot it. Like it was exactly, I think, where his thought process was. And I love it. I love I love the fact that he kind of as as soon as he said that or saw the 
you know, the pick happened with Kansas City. He just didn't want to mess mess around. He didn't want to take any more time. As we discussed last week, or I know I pointed out, he was confident enough to trade up and get a guy he loved and a guy he wanted. And that was, you know, afterwards, obviously the fourth, I kind of questioned just a little bit because you want to have a fourth round pick to still play around with. That's a, that's a kind of a vital pick. You know, it's like a second round as well to me, obviously not as valuable when it comes to who could be there, but that first round of day three can be utilized very well in the right format and with the right person. And of course, I think Brandon Bean is that person. So I, I actually take that fourth round pick being moved as something of, of considerable value. But he just made sure he got the guy he wanted and it didn't get messed around and someone traded with Dallas, let's say, or whatever to take him away from us. And I, I like that overall. So I don't want to don't want to spend too much more time on it. That's kind of how I wrap it up. I think you did a great job um, describing it well. And that's those are my two little points. But uh, we can move on here. And I agree with you. Uh, when the fourth round pick came on the screen, I flinched a little bit. I was bracing, hoping for like a fifth or a sixth. The fourth felt a little rich. Now, look, I don't watch the draft with a trade value chart in my hands. Okay. So, um, I, you know, I, I trust that the people on Twitter that are following it, the beat writers will, will let us know whether they won or lost the trade. And it turns out by the value chart, they did lose that trade by a little bit. I think Brian Gain and the Bills embedded video said they lost it by about five points. Um, but to your point, that was an expensive pick because that is the first pick of day three for them. And just based on the trades that had happened in the first round up until that point, it felt like the teams trading up were getting a discount. Like when you look at what the, the Lions had to do to get up to where Minnesota's spot was, it was like, wait, did Minnesota really mean to do that? So yeah, I thought the fourth round pick was rough. Um, I will say though, I did remember reading in the Michael Silver article, which I believe is the one you may be referencing, that Bean said that he also tried to trade up to 22 with Green Bay and it just fell through. Um, so you could just tell that's when the McDuffie, the McDuffie thing that you referenced on PFT certainly was the springboard for getting up there to get Elam. One more thing I want to point out about Elam is he's not a finished product. So there are a couple negatives to his game. He's gonna have to work on, but one thing he excels at along with, you know, having obviously great physical abilities, great, you know, character and tangibles. He has unbelievable ball skills. And why is that important? Well, you think about the Bills are in a situation where they have a shutdown cornerback in Tredavious White. When you have a cornerback of that caliber, opposing teams avoid that player. So it doesn't matter if it's Kyer Elam, Kyler Gordon, Andrew Booth, Dane Jackson, whoever's on the other side, that person is going to get a lot of targets because the quarterback on the other side of the field is going to avoid Tredavious White. I love love, love having a ball hawk in that cornerback two position. It reminds me a lot of when the Bills had Antoine Winfield as cornerback one and Nate Clements as cornerback two. Antoine Winfield was the shutdown cornerback that just erased one side of the field. Nate Clements was the cornerback that, yeah, he would get bit, beat on double moves here and there. He'd bite on things, but man, he had a knack for turning the ball over. Similar, I think, to what the Ravens have going on with Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters where Marlon Humphrey is their shutdown cornerback. Marcus Peters is very good in his own right. He does have, he's susceptible to getting beat, but man, that guy makes plays on the ball. I love that fit for Kair Elam. So that's the good the things he needs to work on is he is a little grabby in routes. Um, they don't call this strict in colleges in the pros. You can see that in his tape. So he does need to work on that because he will get flagged in the NFL where, you know, they just love to flag you all day long. 
and the the tackling ability um it's kind of weird because a guy with his makeup and his personality really it's if you just watch the film it looks like it's a lack of effort and i've seen people speculate that it could just be the way florida coaches their dbs to tackle which would make a little bit more sense because there's nothing about this kid that says he's going to put no effort into it um that maybe they just teach their dbs to go ahead first hopefully the bills can coach that out of him like you don't need him to be your leading tackler but you certainly don't want him to be somebody that bill belichick's like well let's just throw screens his way because he's not going to get the ball carrier down so he's gonna have to work on that but overall a very solid pick so that night we got to the brandon bean press conference after round one and he did affirm that the bills went into this draft class very much needing a cornerback but Luca Brandon Bean also said something very interesting, and it was about Brees Hall because one of the reporters, I think it may have been John Warrow, asked him, hey, what did you make of all the rumors coming out about you guys having interest in Brees Hall? And Brandon Bean's response was, I don't know where those came from. They didn't come from me. I take it back. This was Tim Graham that brought this up because they got into a little funny banter. He said, I am not somebody who puts out smoke screens. I don't see the value in lying to anybody because that just comes back to haunt you. I don't know where the Brees Hall love came from, from the outside national media. It sure seemed like they thought we were going after a running back here. Our local media seemed to pinpoint cornerback and receiver. Luca, where do you fall on the Brees Hall saga? Do you still believe the bills were in on him, but it just, they had such a high grade on Elam. They had to let him go. Or do you think this was smoke of all smoke and we fell for the smoke screen? I think sadly we fell for the smoke screen. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to be a, a man that falls on a sword. We, we, I mean, at least I will say I fell for it. I, I, last week it had me at a point where I was 50, 50. I really didn't know where it was going. It really put my ma- mind in a blender. I was, I didn't know where I stood on it. I was trying to accept it in a way, but then also trying to justify it in this classical sense of, are we really about to take a running back in the first round? All that fun stuff. We don't need to spend time on that. When Bean made the comments that he did to Tim Graham, it it almost reassured me that I can just trust what we see and what we do and everything in that regard, just like I can trust myself when I say Derek Stingley is a better corner than Sauce Gardner and other people should see that too. Get that in there real quick. But <laughs> he did um, a really good job by you. Uh so it, what I when I say that though, like Bean like telling me I don't lie, you know. I, it is what it is. We were targeting corner, all that kind of stuff. It almost put my mind at ease and just made me go, okay, yes. When you hear all this stuff and people are really saying that stuff, smoke can be just smoke. It, I don't have to believe this going forward. I will, I promise, and I am going to put it down. If insiders and all that crap are the only people saying anything about a running back, I will not believe that smoke. I'm going to say it now, and I'm just, obviously, I say running back because of this particular example, but going forward with whatever position it may be, you know, things like that. If if you have a bunch of insiders talking like this, but everything leading to the draft, Bean doesn't specifically say that we're evaluating offensive weapons or whatever it may be, because obviously Bean didn't really give us too much. You know, everyone kept asking him about corner and then also asking him about offensive weapons and things, I believe, you know, but he didn't give us anything specifically. So unless he says something like that, I think going forward, we can trust what we see, what we believe, everything like that, because we seem to have a good enough pulse to understand that this seems being also operates in a similar way. I don't think 
Bean is the type of guy now that we're going to see something crazy happen from, right? There's too much evidence now to not, you know, to support that he, he does exactly what it seems like it, you know, is in the best interest of the team and what it seems like needs to happen moving forward. Like going into the draft last year was kind of a little bit more obvious and, and to the point we didn't see it happening back to back rounds to start, but it, you could you could sense edge rush was going to be the topic of that first round pick just who it ended up being may have kind of come out of left field as we've talked before but you can sense it and and I think that's the most important thing so yes not to get rambling on here I kind of believed it was smoke it, or I believe it was truly smoke and unfortunately my ass fell for it and I will uh I'll honorably admit to it and hopefully promise to never fall for it again I believe it was smoke and I believe it was agent driven smoke, which tells me that it doesn't mean it wasn't true. So if it came from the bills, that would tell me that it wasn't true, right? Like they wouldn't put out there something that's true. Like, Hey guys, we love Kyrie Elam. And then it turns out they do like, why would they do that? I believe this was coming from Brees Hall's agent and the bills could have very much loved Brees Hall, or maybe they were just kind of like, eh, whatever. But Either way, I think the the rumblings we were hearing leading up to the, the final days of the draft were coming from his agent, and that's his agent's job. So, Luca, heading into round two, we had already taken the cornerback, Kair Elam. You and I were talking throughout the day. What were you hoping the Bills would accomplish on day two and maybe even specifically in round two? Offense, baby, offense. Just show me as much offense as you possibly can. That makes sense, right? Don't do anything crazy that we reach at or whatever, you know. And once you even get to day two, it's are there really that crazy of reaches? Like, no one's going to be out there drafting a guard from some random school late in the first round just because, you know, once you're in day two, (laughs) you're you're not going to be reaching for anyone here. So there are examples of it, of course, but. Overall, get some offensive weapons. We got the corner we needed in day one. So going into day two, I was like, I I, I didn't necessarily think it was going to work out the way it did. And obviously, we will discuss this at length. But I really was hoping that at least the second round pick was going to be offensive minded. I'm going to say that on purpose because if it was even, let's say, you know, a guard that fell down and the value was good. Mm-hmm. I would have been okay with that. You know, at least that was their mindset. Hey, we want to make sure we have another asset we can potentially bring in and protect, you know, Josh Allen. And of course, there's one person in mind that I had specifically for that pick that I would have been very comfortable with. But, you know, at least the mindset was offensive. Because also, by the way, if they would have, let's say, taken a guard with that second round pick, I am almost positive that third round pick then would have also been offensive minded and more specifically as a weapon because that was clearly on the mind of the second round pick and therefore if a guard was just too good to pass up to them i think they would have still been exploring that weapon possibility in that third round pick so i'll give you guys a little peek behind the curtain here on uh day two luca and i were in our discord chat and this was you know 11 11 o'clock in the morning noon you know well before the draft on day two kicked off and I was having a hard time letting go of my Breeze Hall love. So I'm talking with Luca and a couple other Bills fans, and I'm painting scenarios where if Breeze Hall just falls past the Jets and the Texans, 
man, he, there's not a team here that could use a another running back. And I remember Nino being like, well, couldn't Seattle kind of use one or couldn't Atlanta use one? I'm like, no, 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 they're not taking running. You know, I, <laughs> and, and finally at one point it was either, I think it was you or Nino. You were just like, Josh, let it go. He's not coming to us. I, that may have been you. Um, and I was just like, okay, you're right. You're right. So I was, I was watching day two, setting myself up for disappointment, wanting either Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker to fall to us. I thought there was an outside shot that Kenneth Walker would fall. I really did. And then Seattle surprisingly took him, which, you know, I love Kenneth Walker, but a team like Seattle that needed a quarterback uh, needs a lot of things. I thought that was kind of a luxury pick that they couldn't necessarily afford. And then to me, Luca, the thing that really worked against the Bills, because I was with you, I wanted offense and I wanted offensive playmakers in the worst way, whether that was receiver or running back. There was a stretch of picks, starting with pick number 52, where the Pittsburgh Steelers took wide receiver George Pickens, the Indianapolis Colts took wide receiver Alec Pierce, and the Kansas City Chiefs took wide receiver Sky Moore. That was a depressing sequence for team wide receiver Bills fans who were just hoping that somebody would fall because at that point in time, all of the guys who were considered good value at that pick, and it looked like they were falling up until that point. All those guys made it to the 50s and the Bills are sitting there at pick 57. Any one of those guys falls and Bills fans, if they have the card in their hand, are running it up to the podium and you would just hope that the the Bills feel the same way. But then the Bills get on the clock at pick 57, and they trade down with Tampa to pick 60, and they gain a sixth-round pick in the process. So a couple more picks come off the board, nothing super notable, and the Bills are on the clock again at pick 60, and they trade down with Cincinnati to pick 63 for another sixth-round pick. So now the Bills have four sixth-round picks. And the only real notable name to come off the board there was Cam Taylor Britt, who was a guy that we had thought the Bills would be interested in, particularly in the second round, if they weren't able to get their quarterback in the first round. The Bengals took them, took him with the pick they got from the Bills. And then that's where the Bills came on the clock at pick 63. And they took a guy that I will tell you, once Kenneth Walker went off the board, and once the three receivers I mentioned went off the board, I sent out a tweet that said, I think my favorite idea right now for the Bills is running back James Cook. And Luca, I can probably count on one hand. We're on day two or day three. I remember specifically this happened with Robert Woods, and I was elated, where I started targeting a guy, and the Bills took him. It was very exciting. The Bills go with the running back from Georgia, James Cook. He is a 5'11", 190-pound player. He ran a 4'4'2". When you think about James Cook, you don't want to think about him specifically as a running back because he is just an all-around offensive weapon. He has a lot of similarities to J.D. McKissick, although I will say, (laughs) I don't think you draft a guy that you think has a J.D. McKissick ceiling in the second round. This guy has a gear that J.D. McKissick can't sniff. He he has 4-4-2 speed, but you watch him against good defenses against Alabama, against Michigan, he is running at a different speed than everybody else. And he is an absolute dynamic receiver in the passing game. He was out there running wheel routes against Tennessee for touchdowns. And he would split out wide 
and put a double move on a cornerback for a touchdown. Now, look, Alabama has a fantastic quarterback that has to help everybody in that offense. But some of the routes he was running, there's a highlight of him running like an out and up angle route. Um, and it's just, it's just, it reminded you so much of Alvin Kamara, just from the route running perspective. I know there's been a lot of fuel given to the Kamara comparisons. And I think that, you know, we need to relax. He's a, he, he looks like a very fun player. Alvin Kamara is one of the best offensive weapons in the league when he's healthy. So let's just let James Cook breathe for a little bit before we start calling him Alvin Kamara. Um, but Luca, the more you start thinking about James Cook and what he can unlock for this offense and the way now they have two tight ends who can play in line and split out wide. And now they add a running back who can line up at running back and dot the eye, or he can line up at slot receiver, even X or Y receiver anywhere on the field, just another moving chess piece. You can't help but get excited about the potential for this offense. Absolutely. The ceiling is what is the most exciting thing for both the player and the offense itself with that player. Um, the mismatch game, you know, an offensive weapon that can really create mismatch. And that is the most exciting part about James Cook. Um, just to kind of pull the curtain back even further, as Josh was discussing all this discord conversation that's happening and monitoring the draft and watching this, I was watching day two from the Sabres game, the season finale. So all of this conversation was happening as that electric factory of a season close was happening. Just a lot going on in my life for day two. I just, I just want to point that one out. So electric talking, factory. It was awesome. It was a great game. Is that the um, RJ game? It was the, it was the last call of RJ. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I, I take back over, my over, snide remark. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it was an overtime winner to end the year Yeah, and with promise, everything like that. Yeah. Not to get too much into Sabres hockey, but as I was talking Josh off the ledge, when it comes to those receivers coming off the board and everything like that, and the Brees Hall idea, um, that is what I was doing. So I had a lot going on, but when the James cook pick happened, I was elated, probably not as elated as you. I wasn't as ecstatic. I mean, I was very, very happy. I'm just pointing out the fact that you were probably on top of the world at that point. And I just wasn't quite there because I just, I mean, it's hard to be higher than that. Um, but, uh, yeah, the ceiling that he can provide this offense and what it could do to bring it to yet another level and bring Josh Allen's game potentially to another level is just, I mean, thinking of just number 17 being even better than he's already been these past two years, we'll say is just drool worthy. It is like, oh my goodness, another piece in the puzzle that can just make us more unstoppable offensively, which, uh, you know. I mean, realistically, that is what the game is now. How how little can you be stopped on offense? That is how well you will do in this league. Uh, I mean, you win games by scoring points, more points than the other team. That's how it works. That is the core concept of the game. So just keep adding to this offense as best as you can to score more points than everyone else. And James Cook is going to definitely help this offense, you would think, immediately and for the foreseeable future to just, oh, the I am I'm drooling now thinking of this drool worthy concept. Um, yeah, I, it was a great pick acquiring assets and the tr double trade down. We'll call it to then ultimately take James cook. I thought was an interesting play it, when I was watching it happen on the tracker, the draft tracker while I was at that yeah, Sabres game. What I found interesting at first, I found it frustrating because I just wanted the pick to happen so I could like not look at my phone for the next 10 minutes. But the other, what I found interesting was, 
all these weapons had come off. And like you talked about that wide receiver stretch. Now it's starting to really get thin of, let's call it, you know, tier B and C ish weapons, right? That's, that's what we'll call them, right? Cause your tier A weapons are of course, all the people that went top 15 and now your, your Christian Watson is kind of what really kicked off the, the tier B we'll call it. And then even bleeding into the C. So that wide receiver stretch you talked about was really where it started to bleed it thin. And James Cook was sitting there. And in my mind, he was kind of that, we'll call it the bookend, right? There wasn't much out there that I thought was, we'll call it a second round talent that potentially can be a massive impact on a team day one, right? As a weapon. And for Brandon Bean to trade back, not once, but twice when that kind of uh, chip was on the table. I thought was a bold move. It's like holding an ace. Like obviously they were targeting him, I would think. And they had an ace and yet, you know, everything showing on the board in in poker was let's say fours and fives, right? Just crap out there and you're just hoping that no one else out there was just also holding let's say pocket jacks, right? And you're just trading back and you're hoping to God you can cash in on that ace. And just once in a while, you throw in a little something in there, acquire a little bit more assets so you can maybe build up that pot just a little bit on your ace high. Like that's what you're hoping for. And luckily, no one called his bluff. We got James Cook where we got him. We acquired a couple assets in the process. And I was ecstatic, not as happy as you. And I'll point it out one more time because I know this was kind of like your pick in the draft. This was this was the one you... I. Honestly, I, I want to ask you, is this the pick you're most excited about in this draft overall? Um, that's a great question. If it's not, it's in the top two. Okay. The, the more I learn about Kair Elam, like the more I just, I just feel so good about that pick. But yes, uh, to me, look, I'm not going to lie to you and say that, um, that he was, James Cook was at the top of my mind as round two kicked off. But as round two started going, like you said, he became like the last standing dynamic weapon that the Bills could get in that range. And I think we need to have an Isaiah Spiller conversation here because a lot of Bills fans I saw said, well, hey, this running back that I see rated a lot higher was still there. What are they doing taking um, James Cook? Now, Luca, you and I have been pretty open about our opinions about Isaiah Spiller. We both thought that he was a good prospect, but um, not necessarily what we were looking for for this offense. This offense needed juice at the running back position. To me, adding another guy that doesn't have that juice is, I don't know how much an upgrade that's going to be over Devin Singletary. The important thing to remember is Devin Singletary is a pretty good football player. It's not like the Bills had nothing at running back. They really either needed to go with someone like a Brees Hall or a Kenneth Walker who can be that bell cow that would be better than Singletary or compliment him with a running back like James Cook. So what the Cook pick represented to me was, one, this team is going to stay very pass happy. Two, they added a very explosive weapon that's going to be so much fun in the mismatch game, and we can talk about that down the line as we go. And three, they didn't draft the slow running back. And I know that's kind of like a, I don't know, a very basic way of looking at it, but I'm sorry. I've seen this team take Devin Singletary and Zach Moss in back-to-back drafts on day two and pull up their RAS score and look at, wow, there's a lot of red and yellow on that. And James Cook or James Cook just pops green. I will tell you, and I will give you a little nod here because I know he's a guy you like. 
There was another player I would have been okay with in that scenario that I think maybe could have been more of that bell cow style back um, that had some similar juice to a Brees Hall. And it's your Arizona State guy, Rashad White, who um, we may end up talking about later in our big three game. Um, I think that would have been a solid pick for the Bills. The wide receiver idea was dead at that point to me. Uh, To me, it was down to Cook and White. I preferred Cook. I would have been okay with White. Um, I don't know if you have a thought on that, but White went shortly thereafter to Tampa, right? Yeah, it wasn't shortly. We we actually even picked before he again before he was taken. Okay. Um, but yes, I will. I'll put you. I'll, I'll I'll say this. I love James Cook. All right. I I love the pick. I think it's gonna be great. I do want to pump the brakes on all this comp stuff to Kamara. I think yeah, we gotta stop. Um, that. Let's, let's let's see how James Cook is as James Cook, huh? Let's let's. I don't know. Crazy concept. Let's see how a guy is as himself. But um, yes. I there was the guilty pleasure and my ASU alum ass just sitting there going, man, I would love if Rashad White was picked by the Bills. One, I would hope he would be number three single digit so that it would really infuriate one of my good friends. And then two, I'd buy his jersey instantly and it would be hanging in my closet as soon as possible. That would have been electric for me personally. That is me being selfish. That is me wanting something for myself. Let me just preface again, selfishness. But James Cook was those were the two guys I was kind of looking at. Right. Those are those are the guys that I loved. And James Cook, great pick. And then that also killed the Rashad White idea. But I'm okay with it. Right. It's about the bills first and then everything else afterwards. You know, I'm not the one running the show. And I will also say I wouldn't have taken Rashad White with the 63rd pick. I think that would have been a little too early. It would have been understandable, but a little too early. And that would you would only take Rashad White if James Cook wasn't there. I, I, I want to also say that because as you pointed out, I wanted speed. James Cook is speed. He might not be Tyreek Hill speed, but also there's only one Tyreek Hill in this world, but he's still fast as hell. And Rashad White, as much as I love him, and I think he's kind of an all around weapon. He's, he can be really utilized in a lot of ways. And he is a passing weapon as, you know, pass catching weapon, I should say as well. He's not speed. You know, he's not third gear speed, whereas James Cook does seem to have that two and a half gear. We'll call it. I don't want to say third gear that two and a half. That's two and a half. Right. He can he can really get you. And obviously, we've all seen the videos now and the highlights over the years of him and, you know, on Georgia against SEC defenses, you know, turning turning linebackers around and putting them on their ass basically because of how fast he was running. Um, Yeah, it. Yeah, I'll end it there. I don't need to go on about Rashad White too much more because he's not a bill and James Cook is. I'm happy with the pick. I'm excited about the pick. It's unfortunate that I don't get my little selfishness of Rashad White. But yeah, those were kind of the two guys I was looking at. And we ended up with a good one in my mind and James Cook. And uh, I was happy overall. Yeah, uh, it was the best idea at the time when they were on the clock. It's hard not to think that the Bills maybe weren't in love with him by the way they traded back twice. Uh, Brandon Bean did say on one of his interviews, it may have even been the Mike Silver article, that there were four guys there that he liked when they traded back the first time and no, none of them went. And then when they traded back the second time, only one of them went. Um, if you start like matching up top 30 visits, you could maybe say that Cam Taylor Britt was the guy that he had pinpointed there. It's just a guess. And maybe they didn't want to double dip at cornerback. But with one of them going, they felt like the time was right to go with a James Cook. I'm excited about it. Um, You know, we talk about his positives. 
The negatives are, I, I don't know that this satisfies the, okay, Devin Singletary is probably going to leave next year, and here's your full-time running back. I don't think that's his game, and I don't think that's the best way to utilize him. Even if you watch the Saints, it's not like Alvin Kamara is out there getting 300 carries a year. That's not his game. It's always been Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray or Alvin Kamara and Mike In- Mark Ingram. So I think that would be the idea here with James Cook if he hits his potential. Like all these guys have to prove they can put play in the NFL. But if he does turn into that dynamic passing game weapon, I th- I would think his sweet spot would be eight to ten carries a game out of very pass favorable looks to keep the defense honest and then just move him around as a moving chess piece on offense and try to create matchups for him to get the ball in open space and watch out. And that looks like a lot of fun to me. I think the bills, if Singletary leaves are going to have to find their one B or, you know, one a running back. That's more of like that bell cow between the tackles guy, but this is a fun, fun weapon for the team. So Luca, I was feeling good at this point and it's funny you said you were sitting there with your uh, with your phone in your hand trying to watch the hockey game, and you're just like, just make the pick so I can go back to watching the hockey game. My daughter was sitting there watching the draft with me, and I had said to her, okay, you can stay up until the Bills pick. And then, of course, they trade back, so it's 20 more minutes. And they trade back again, so it's 20 more minutes. And she is just sitting there smirking at me, and I'm just thinking, Brandon Bean, I need to get my daughter to bed, and you just keep <laughs> trading back and trading back. I did say to my nephew who was watching the draft with me at this point, I got my cornerback and I got the speed running back I love. There is nothing that can happen the rest of this draft that would upset me. And then Luca, the third round happened. And guess what? I was upset. (laughs) The Bills in the third round at pick number 89 took linebacker Terrell Bernard out of Baylor. He is 6'1", 224 pounds. I will say the reason why I was upset has very little to do with Terrell Bernard. It has more to do with as that picks coming up closer and closer, I'm talking to you and I'm just like, man, can you imagine a day where we get James cook and Jalen Tolbert? Like that would be so much fun. Like what juice for the offense. And then the nasty Dallas Cowboys swoop in and take him one pick before the bills are on the clock. And then the bills are up on the clock and I'm kind of looking at what's available to them. And this is a very popular opinion among bills fans. Dylan Parham, the offensive guard from Memphis, is a guy that fits the athletic profile of what we think Aaron Cromer likes. He's a guy that could have gone in the second round and people would have thought that was good value. So here in the third round, it felt like, man, this is almost too good to be true. You get your your running back, your gadget player in James Cook. You beef up your offensive line. You take those vegetables as we talk about. Like, it's not sexy, but like, let's keep the line strong. And instead, the Bills went with a linebacker. And you and I have kind of talked about like, yeah. There's potential that the either Tremaine Edmonds uh, contract situation could go south or more realistically, we've talked about the fact that they will extend Tremaine Edmonds and that probably makes them want to get out from under Matt Milano's contract. Um, So there was maybe a need to look for an eye on the future at linebacker there, but it wasn't something I was particularly interested in doing on day one or day two of the draft. I think linebackers are easy enough to find. You don't have to plan a year ahead on that. Take a flyer on the guy on day three this year. And if he doesn't work out, then maybe you get a little more aggressive next year, but they made this pick. And I will tell you at the time it happened, I was very meh. And the fact that it came out of right after Kyle Brandt's pipe bomb, (laughs) just set the draft on fire, which was amazing to follow it up with Terrell Bernard. My reaction on draft night was, huh? I'm not, I don't really, uh, I don't really like that one. 
I will uh, I will let you speak on how you felt on draft night, and I will tell you that um, when it's my turn to talk again, I have come around quite a bit on this pick. I'm not saying I love it, but I definitely I have some thoughts on it that that cheered me up. So when this pick was announced, what was your reaction? Uh, first reaction is, well, the Big 12 is not exactly known for their defense. So I didn't know anything about Terrell Bernard. I, I don't exactly look, as I just pointed out, uh, at defensive players in the Big 12. Might look at corners just because generally over the years, you find a lot of athletic corners that come out of the Big 12. Um, but yeah, that's not exactly uh, a defensive first conference in college football, as I'm pretty sure everyone is aware. So I was like, I don't really know who this guy is. And then my initial reaction was, well, uh, we're at like six minutes left in this Sabres game and it's a you know deadlock heat right now. So I got to turn this off. But no, <laughs> uh, when it came to the Bills draft, you know, I, I made sure I saw the Kyle Brandt video afterwards. And um, actually, yeah, Kyle, yeah, uh, I was going to say, I don't think I turned it on during the uh, game, but r- neither here or there. I wasn't sure about it. I, I, I don't think I was as meh about drafting a linebacker as you. I basically looked at it as we got our offensive weapon in the second round in James Cook. We got our corner, of course, the day before in Kyir Elam. At that point, like you're kind of just drafting for really niche things, right? You're, you're drafting almost for, of course, yes, we would love another offensive weapon. But at that point, you're probably drafting kind of a very gadget you know, small role kind of player for that offensive weapon role. If you're drafting an offensive lineman, as you brought up, you're drafting someone that, I mean, realistically, if they have a bad camp, if they have a bad preseason, they could be a cut and practice squad candidate. It's not like they're going to make any sort of impact to the you know team this season. And of course, that's not what the draft is about. But I'm just saying in a sense of, I don't think there was anything immediate as well as future needed there. So you knew at that point, it could be anything they view as value in the future. And I think that's where I kind of came to it when I, when I really just five minutes after the pick happens and whatnot. And I'm thinking, why would they take a linebacker? Why would they, I mean, again, I don't know. I didn't know the player himself at this point. I had to do a little bit of digging after the fact. Um, But I'm like, why would they take a linebacker? But, I sat there, I thought about what we talked about in the, you know, when the one episode, when we talked about defensive position groups and everything like that in my mind immediately went to, okay, there's definitely a thought to what is this linebacker room looking like in two years. And I think that's a good thought to have, especially when you have the luxury of a team that we have when it comes to, there's not a lot of holes. There's not a lot of things that you can really get good immediate you know, fills from in this third round pick, you would like that. But at the same time, it's not a bad thing to say, well, this is just probably going to be a role player. Maybe he's going to be special teams for now. And then, you know, that's going to help us immediately, but then he will be someone that can hopefully make an impact in the linebacker room down the field or down the, you know, down the line. And that's kind of where my head started going. And I was comfortable enough in that sense. Once it gets to third and fourth round though, I'll be honest with me every year, I'm not, it's so hard for me to go, Oh, I hate this pick or I love this pick or anything like that. I just think that's a ridiculous mindset to have about a draft pick at that point in the draft. The the percentages, and I don't know what they are off the top of my head. They can't be great when it comes to these players making any sort of notable impact in the league. Like I would, I would imagine. So they say the average lifespan of a NFL player is about three and a half to three and three quarters. 
uh, years. You know, I bet you once you hit that late third round, fourth round, the, the percentage of them hitting that average has to be under 50%. It has to be like, I, I would be shocked if it's at 50 or even anywhere close to 50%. So I kind of go into it with, all right, we're in the late third round here. They're kind of just looking at their big board and they're going, what makes sense here at value? And then, you know, maybe this can fulfill something down the road that we know is going to eventually come up, you know, whether it's, you know, as you mentioned, the contract situation with Edmonds and then eventually Milano, you know, if they want to get under that contract, as we talked about, or get out of it, um, things like that. Like it, it was probably just a thought they had there. They felt comfortable with everything else. Cause of course, at that point too, they didn't have that fourth round pick. They had nothing in the fourth round. So we're really sitting there just not knowing what's going to be there come the fifth round. And they just felt of course, or as it seems that that was a good way to go with it. I was okay with it. I kind of was like, at that point, I trust whatever they do. I'm not going to overreact. It is what it is. I, I don't think I was as mad about it. And I was just pumped to see the Kyle Brandt announcement of it all. Cause that was just awesome. That was, that was fun. And, and as the booze escalated, when he brought up, you know, Super Bowl 57 champs, that was, that was great. That, that, that got the blood going there. I was, I was pumped to see that. And that's, that's what I took away from the pick. I took away from the pick just as much about Kyle Brandt that I did <laughs> the actual player. And yeah. I was okay with that. So I think my initial disappointment was it wasn't an offensive player because I had gone into day two, like, all right, you got your cornerback. Let's feed this offense. And then it was a linebacker. And then you start thinking about path to playing time. And this is a nickel heavy team. And there are two linebackers say what you want to about Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, their two linebackers are very good. You, if you want to stop short of saying great, that's fine. But they're both very good in Edmonds and Milano. And they're both three down players. So barring injury, those guys are not coming off the field. So I started looking at this some more. And let me get one more negative out of the way, just to, just to get it out of the way. And then I'm going to start talking about the positive things. As the draft went on, a few picks later, the Patriots traded out of their pick to Carolina, who came up to get Luca's guy, Matt Corral, at quarterback. And the Patriots got a fourth-round pick this year and a future third-round pick. And it's important to note, no quarterbacks went off the board between the point of time that the Bills picked Bernard and the Panthers trade up to get Corral. So it's not like you know, a quarterback went off the board and the Panthers were like, oh shit, we got to get up there to get our guy or we're going to lose out. It's not like a quarterback run was starting. That leads me to believe that that offer or a similar offer was on the table to the Bills and they passed up on it. And, you know, that's kind of disappointing. I think having an extra third round pick next year would be pretty neat. Looked at Looking at how the board was when this was on the, when the Bills were on the clock and they took Bernard. It's important to know though, that just because the board that I have from, you know, looking at the draft network and PFF and the, the research I've done, that doesn't mean anything compared to the board the Bills have. And if you want to feel good about this pick, if you can get yourself to believe that the Bills did have this offer on the table from Carolina, you know they have a good relationship with Carolina, um, and they turned it down, it means they must have had a really good grade on Bernard. And Bean said as much in this press conference, like, hey, we had some opportunity to trade down, but we liked where we, what our, our board looked like. We decided to make the pick. Okay. So how does Bernard help them this year? Because I think the long-term path is somewhat obvious. He, if, you know, Edmonds leaves, 
He's a guy that's a candidate to take over there, although it's a little bit, you know, he's very much a similar player to Milano. And it would be kind of weird to me to see, you know, two linebackers of that size playing out there. I, I think he's much more of a Milano replacement down the line, but this is where I got excited. Joe Marino brought up on his podcast, Joe Marino, for those of you that don't know, even though he's a Bills reporter, not a reporter, he's a Bills analyst. He lives in Carolina, so he's very familiar with the Carolina Panthers. And he said this pick reminded him of when the Carolina Panthers took Shaq Thompson. Sean McDermott was the defensive coordinator. They ran a nickel-heavy defense, and they had Luke Keekley and they had Thomas Davis at linebacker, and they still took Shaq Thompson. And at the time, the fans and the media were like, what are you doing? Shaq Thompson became that moving chess piece on defense. We talked about this a couple of years ago when a lot of Bills fans wanted the Bills to take Kyle Duggar in the second round, the year that they had traded away the first round pick for Stefan Diggs, and they eventually went up and took um, AJ Epines in the second round. Kyle Duggar being that, that big nickel to come on against maybe run-heavy teams or two tight end teams maybe against New England to have a more, more physical nickel player. I think there's a very good chance that Terrell Bernard can fill that role as a big nickel in those situations. Another thing, look at the AFC championship game. If you didn't watch it, I fully understand if the pain was too real to watch football that week. And I'm right there with you. I didn't watch much of that game live when it happened. I have gone back and watched it since when the Bengals slowed down the chiefs in the second half, it wasn't because all of a sudden their pass rush just turned it up. It was because they said, you know what? We're not getting to Mahomes anyway. So let's just rush three and play coverage. And they went to a three, three, five style defense. That is much, much more common in college football than the NFL. And it started making Mahomes hesitate. And they have the cornerbacks to play man defense in that, which you hope looking at the first round, the bills now have that. And I think when you look at Terrell Bernard's scouting report, great in coverage, great read and react. He's not the guy that's going to go in there like a Darius Leonard and shed blocks and get off of offensive guards and, and tap and blow up a ball carry in the back in the backfield. That's not his game. His game is coverage. His game is very similar to Milano. And when you look at it from that standpoint, you have the flexibility with the big nickel. You have the flexibility now to play three, three, five defense. You have a guy now that say what you want to about Terrell Dotson. I'm not a huge fan that if Edmonds or Milano go down, they hopefully can come in and hold down the fort at a higher level. So I look at him as a guy that is probably not going to start this year, barring injury, but I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities for him to get on the field and be useful. Similar to what we talked to about Kyer Elam. I think there's a chance the bills are going to tinker with their scheme this year to shake things up, to mix it up. And this is just, we talked about James cook being the moving chess piece on offense. This guy could be a moving chess piece on defense. One more thing, RAS score, relative athletic score. If you adjust him to strong safety, his score goes up into the nines. I'm not saying he's going to be a strong safety. I wouldn't even predict it, but it's just something to keep in the back of your mind with this Jordan Poyer thing looming. I don't think that's the path they have set out for him. In fact, Brandon Bean said as much that they don't view him as a safety right now. They think he has the athleticism to do that, but they view him as more of a linebacker, big nickel type. But all of this leads me to believe that even though it doesn't seem like there's a path to him this year, I think there are going to be some opportunities for him to get on the field. And then the more you read on him, Tyler Dunn um, in his go long article does a great job of talking to scouts about anonymous scouts about different players. 
every single scout he talked to, whether or not they loved him as a player, they were like, eh, he's kind of average, said, this is a guy that's going to wear a green dot in the NFL. Green dot is essentially the captain of the defense who calls plays. That says a lot about his character. And he is a McDermott guy through and through. So great athlete, great in coverage, tremendous character, was the MVP of the Sugar Bowl this year for whatever that's worth. He dominated that game. So there's stuff to like about him. And I'm just intrigued now, Luca, about when you look at Elam, who gives the Bills the ability to play man on the outside much more than last year. And now you look at Bernard, a guy that gives them a chance to have some big nickel flexibility or three, three, five flexibility. I'm just intrigued to see what Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott have cooked up. I'm not anticipating that we're just going to see copy and paste from the last few seasons where the defense dominates bad teams. And then when they play good teams, sometimes it looks like they can't keep up. Yeah. I, I think the three, three, five point you brought up, you were the first one that I even, I, I, I think you brought it up in the discord even, and I hadn't didn't even that didn't even cross my mind but i thought that was a great point it kind of points to exactly what their draft strategy was the previous year and of course the big thing that they saw when someone had beaten the chiefs was whoa pass rush getting home did it you know and they and now they feel comfortable with that and it's like okay what what what's another way that someone had beaten the chiefs because of course the chiefs are still viewed right now as that hurdle we need to get across we need to get over and as you pointed out, the Bengals then all of a sudden just went down to three rush in the passer and they made Mahomes hesitate. And that's how if that's how they feel they can accomplish that. I think that's a great point and kind of like that sneaky way of maybe this pick works out a lot better than what our gut reactions were when we first saw it happen. I think that's a great point. I think another funny uh, remark that I saw about uh, him was, you know, you brought up the comp of um I already forget who the comp was exactly that you brought up. Milano? But, uh, no, 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 not the Milano comp. Uh, uh, to the uh, Panthers drafting. Uh, what's oh, his name? Shaq Thompson. Shaq yeah. Thompson. Thank you. I was thinking. I was. I knew it was Shaq, but for whatever reason, I was tripping up on Thompson. Um, when when they drafted Shaq Thompson, I thought another interesting comp that someone had brought up, you know, unsolicited, was uh, Sam Mills. I think it was Bean that brought it up, and it was you know, you know, he's like people like Sam Mills have come into this league and succeeded when they were viewed as undersized and things like that, and it was based on the character and the will to want to succeed and things like that. So I think that also drives into your point where they were talking about scouts and things of such that it's like the person that this player seems to be fits the mold of you expect to get the most you can out of him because he's going to want to give you the most he can. And I think that goes a long way in this organization, in this building. And, you know, with everything they have built now at this point, those are the kind of individuals you want to introduce to this world. Another person that comes in, you know, does their job is, is trying to get better, trying to be the best, trying to see the field, however that will be. And, ultimately you're just naturally going to get the best out of them because of that. And they're going to develop hopefully into something impactful. That would be the nice cherry on top, but they're going to be a good person to have in the, in there. And then also if this person can really expand what we do defensively, we can adjust on the fly. And I think that point that you made is huge. If we can adjust and do different things with this defense, that of course will be big. So yeah, I think after the, after looking back on day two and seeing this pick. And when we initially were kind of, I, you know, as you said, May and then myself, I, I just was indifferent. We'll call it 
at that point, you know, I wasn't quite down on it, but I just didn't know what to feel about it. When you really look at it now, it's kind of an, it's, it's, it's an interesting pick. It's, it's a very intriguing pick to me now. It's, it's like, wow, what does this really indicate for both now and the future? Because it could indicate a ton. And I think him being comp to Milano spot on, I don't, I, I don't necessarily agree with that whole strong safety thing you brought up. Not sure how I feel about that. I, I, I'm glad that it sounds like that's not necessarily exactly where they're looking at with that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not huge in that whole kind of thing, turning a linebacker into a safety, turning a safety into a linebacker. Like it might work for one year, but it just never seems to kind of hold its weight overall. There's, you know, a few examples of that. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to see what this means for the defense overall. It kind of goes with that Elam pick, obviously, maybe not as impactful. But what does it mean now for this defense of this team this year when it comes to are they going to run a bunch of different looks? Are they really going to change things up? And, you know, hopefully not to an extreme. I wouldn't think they would do that. But are they really going to be able to on the fly change things up and really frustrate other teams even more now instead of, you know, kind of going back to their roots and sitting back in a singular scheme while mixing in a sprinkle of here, you know, man or whatever. And of course, as we know, we did actually run more man that you would think. And the ability to do that at an even greater impact is awesome to, you know, think about because man on man, it's just as true as a defense can be. That'd be cool. Obviously, if we don't do that, I don't think we're going to do that, you know, predominantly. But if we can do that in a point where it's comfortable, that would be incredible because that would be just nice to say, hey, you had on a hat, get it done when we need it the most, you know, say third and long let's say you know you just need to kill 13 seconds if you can go hat on a hat and hopefully they can just take care of that that would be great so yeah yeah, it's it's exciting to think about what this pick now really does mean on top of the elon pick with the defense as a whole definitely so the bills upgrade their linebacker depth they hopefully upgrade saran neal's role as big nickel they find their 2022 replacement for aj klein assuming that Terrell Bernard beats out Dobson on the depth chart, and that puts a bow on day number two. And Brandon Bean once again took the podium, talked about his picks, and he said the trade downs with James Cook were initially hoping to recoup that fourth round pick they lost in the Elam trade. They weren't able to do that, but they were able to get two sixes. So they were going into day three with, let me count here, one, two, three, four, five, six picks. And Brandon Bean basically said, don't bet on us using all these picks. So we've talked about the Bills are a pretty stacked roster. It's going to be tough for day three rookies to really have an impact or make this team. So Bean indicates there that they probably would either package some picks together to trade up or package some picks to trade into future drafts. And Luca, it didn't take him long to prove not to be a liar because At pick 148, the Bills trade up 20 spots on day three with the Chicago Bears and take wide receiver Khalil Shakir out of Boise State. Six foot, 196 pounds, ran a 4-4-3. And I think just based on fan reaction, maybe the sixth round pick we're going to talk about for a different reason was right up there too. I think this was universally accepted as a good pick. And... Analysts said this was a very good pick for the Bills. I'm excited about it because it addressed the wide receiver. Um, Overall, to me, this pick checked a lot of boxes of got the weapon you want, got a position you want, and as all fans love on draft day, 
when the analysts say, man, they got tremendous value. It just makes you feel good. So this one checked a lot of boxes. Yeah, it definitely did. And the funny part is the only kind of, and I don't want to call them negatives because they weren't negatives. They were just kind of notes where I did notice some people because in my friend group, let's say someone asked, who is this player? What, who is Khalil Shakir? And I, you know, it's not like I'm sitting here watching Mountain West football or, you know, I'm not watching Boise State, you know, all the time, but they are a notable program. And this was someone that I kind of like was like, I wonder who this is. I'll be honest. I wondered who he was mainly draft purpose wise because I liked his name. I I was like Khalil Shakir. I kind of like that name. That's kind of cool. Let's see what this guy's about. Um, And what popped what popped off the screen to me and just a little thing, cause it's not like there's a ton there. It's, you know, if he like blew me away, why would he be still sitting there in the fifth? But what I noticed was he was literally everywhere on the field. Mm-hmm. And I mean that he was taking direct snaps. He was lined up at running back. He was in the slot, of course, and he was out wide. He was literally everywhere. He, he, all the highlights, it felt like he was at a different point pre-snap every time he, he was, he is a true offensive weapon, it seems like. And that's exciting to me. I think the fact that he has a lot of flexibility, the fact that he has an ability to play comfortably anywhere, it seems like, because you would hope that's why they were doing that with him at Boise State. That's a really fun thing to think about with this offense. It's just another player they can bring in and maybe find ways to just get him the ball in open space because that clearly seems to be the way teams wanted to use him or Boise state wanted to use him that way. And he excelled at it. He did a very good job at Boise state being that way. That's why he is an NFL prospect. That's why he was picked in the fifth round. He was very good at it. And, you know, like I think a name out there, and I don't want to say this because it's, it's very, um, I don't want to say this, but it's only because of the ability of being fully customizable and fully flexible with what he can do. I mean, the only name that came to mind was Debo Samuel. And I don't want to say that because, of course, everyone's head immediately goes to, holy crap, we just drafted potentially Debo Samuel. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, in a pinch, if you really just want to try to exploit some matchups, if you want to try to do something, create packages on a player that you're comfortable with in space, he clearly seems to be a guy that maybe you could do that with. And that's very, very exciting to me. I think, I mean, it'd be awesome if that you really want, you know, you really want to change things up and all of a sudden you have James Cook lined up out wide and then you bring in Khalil Shakir at halfback just to create something out there, right? And now all of a sudden you got James Cook taking care of someone out wide. Let's say, you know, it's a their number one corner and you naturally now have this athlete in Shakir matched up against some linebacker. That's a great matchup. A wide receiver on a linebacker is always a great matchup. I don't care what you say. Like that's always a great, great matchup and you're going to try to exploit that this seems to be a player that could fill that void. So funny enough, when I saw this pick, I was, I was, that was immediately what my head went to. I was like, wow, this could be one of those like sneaky instant impact picks in the fifth round, which is just unbelievable value. I mean, let, if you can get instant impact out of a day three player, regardless where it is. And when I say instant impact, I'm not saying that they just are a decent special team or I'm saying like actually on offensive or defensive side of the ball or be a boomstick of a punter wink wink um if you can get good value out of someone like that on day three that's a great pick and it is really hard to complain about it again i don't want to say i'm in love with this pick i don't also hate this pick of course i just think it was a very solid pick i think it was a great usage of the pick trading up to get him i fully understand as we learned and i know you'll discuss 
This was someone they had a fourth round grade on. This was a pick that truly justified moving up two spots in the first round was okay because then we ultimately just got the guy we would have ended up with in the fourth round anyways. Yeah, and Bean said as much in his press conference that when the Ravens were on the clock with their fourth round pick that they had traded from Buffalo, that Bean kind of looked at the board and he was like, well, shoot, who would we take here? And he admitted that it was Khalil Shakir. So that should make you feel like no harm, no foul in going up to get Kair Elam because you end up getting the guy that the Bills would have taken. It's funny, Luca, because as day three is going on, there were still some guys that we liked. Uh, Tariq Woolen, um, Calvin Austin. Those were probably the two guys standing out. We were talking about that. And Calvin Austin was falling, and you and I were getting excited about that. And then he ends up going Ugh. off the board to Pittsburgh. And it felt to me like that was the end of the wide receivers. And then I, I looked at my notes, and I saw Khalil Shakir still sitting there. And for some reason, in my mind, I had thought he was already drafted. I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where, like, I'm not like sitting there writing all this down, right? Like I, I have more to do with my time, like Monday, Thursday and Friday watching the whole thing, but you know, I'm kind of letting the TV take care of it for me. And then as the day is going on, the bills don't have a pick in the fourth round. So I'm not sitting there in front of my TV, just watching the whole thing. I'm just kind of like keeping up on Twitter in my brain. I, for some reason I had already rolled him out like, Oh, he was already off the board. And I noticed he was still there. And that's when I said in discord chat, I was like, Oh wow, Shakir's still there. That would be a really good pick. And then they took him, and that was pretty exciting. So there's a lot of reasons to like it. One is if you if you follow any Chicago sports talk this week, they're really upset because that's a guy they wanted the Bears to take. And the Bears instead trade out of that position and let the Bills take him. So that's always fun. Um, so he's a guy that uh, Chris Trapasso at CBS compared to Cooper Cup. <laughs> uh, Matt Miller as, as you said, compared him to Debo Samuel Light. Um, I've seen comparisons to Robert Woods, maybe with less intense blocking ability. I think the overall point here is, though, is I think he's a guy that's really going to help this offense, if not in the short term, in the long term. So, and we're going to have plenty of time as the weeks go on to kind of talk about different position groups and such. But just quickly, high level, Diggs has big money. Davis has two more years left and they're going to have to make a decision on him. Uh, I anticipate Dawson Knox is going to get big money. What you're going to need is you're going to need to supplement those big contracts with cheap contracts. So I feel like the bills had kind of gotten themselves into a situation after Beasley left where they were essentially going to be playing rent a slot every year. And that's fine. Like you have to, you have to pick and choose where you're going to invest your money. And when you have a quarterback like Josh Allen, Sometimes you can bring in average-ish players and just get the best out of them, you know, similar to what happened to Emmanuel Sanders last year, even though he wasn't a slot. I felt like with what they did with Jamison Crowder, it was going to be kind of like how they've been attacking guard, where bring in a guy who's trying to revive his career, let him catch passes for Josh Allen for, for a year, play him in the slot, let him go hit the market after having a good year with Allen, move on next. Um, so what Shakir gives them is the potential – for the next three or four years to grow into that slot role on a very cheap contract for a fifth round pick. And that's just not an issue anymore of what the bills have to attack in the off season. I love that. Okay. So a couple of things on him, I went back and watched a lot of him after they picked him and I had some takeaways. First of all, I know he timed a four, four, three at the combine, I didn't see a 4-4-3 player when I watched him. 
I'm just being honest. He looked a little bit more closer to like a four or five player where he's shifty. He's elusive. He's very quick in like the first 10 yards when he, when he's like getting in and out of his sets, but just downfield, I didn't quite see that explosion that you would expect from a four, four, three player. Um, he is very quick and I, it reminds me, and I, this is strong, but it just reminds me of Cole Beasley where his feet are going a hundred miles an hour when he's getting ready to make his break on his route. And it's just boom, his route is run. Um, I will say for as quick as he is, which I think is just a tremendous trait. It seemed to me in my untrained eye, but I am trying to train my eyes to see this things. It seemed to me like he rounded off a fair amount of his routes where if he could just crisp those up, he'd be open, but it seemed like he was running himself almost into coverage by rounding off the routes here and there, you know, fifth round pick, not a perfect prospect, but the quickness to me is very intriguing. I will also say that watching his film, I was not impressed with his quarterback. There were many times he was open and he just wasn't getting the ball or he was getting a bad ball. I don't know anything about his quarterback. Maybe he's a top prospect and I'm just going to sound like an idiot, but in what I watched, not an impressive player. So to me, he's a guy that is initially quick in his 10 yard split. He has tremendous quickness in and out of his breaks. And if he can just crisp up his route running, which hello, you're in a room with Stefan Diggs and then Chad Hall as wide receiver coach. I think he's going to get to work on that. Um, this is a guy to me that I would feel almost confident is going to be our starting slot receiver next year, not 2022, 2023 though which when Jamison Crowder comes off the books and maybe you do something with Isaiah McKenzie's contract. So that's exciting. Um, he does have shorter arms. His arms are only 29 inches, which are short for a receiver. And he has concentration drops, which are kind of hard to figure out Luca, because there are legit plays he makes on the ball where you're like, even though you're watching a highlight reel and you know, it's going to be a big play for him. You're like, there's no way he's catching this. And he goes up one handed and catches it over three linebackers and a defensive back. And it's like, holy shit, how do you pull that in? And then he'll be running across the middle wide open and the ball will just hit him in the face mask and he'll hit the ground. So he's got to clean that up. Um, so no, I don't think the bills solve their need for a burner with this pick. And I also don't believe the bills solve their need for a wide receiver four who can play boundary. Although Brandon Bean has said he sees Shakir being that wide receiver four this year who can sub in at slot and boundary. I see a guy in my untrained eye, I'm telling a poem here basically, who is much more of a slot receiver. And we have some numbers there. We have McKenzie, we have Crowder. I do think people forget that McKenzie played a lot of outside um, before last year, kind of getting off into the weeds here. I think McKenzie could be that backup outside receiver if something were to happen to Diggs or Davis. But to me, this is a slot receiver who's going to back up Crowder or McKenzie or maybe make one of them expendable after camp. If he has a strong camp, we'll see what happens. And I also think Luca, this is a guy that has a very, very, very good chance to be our number one punt returner. Um, I have zero interest in seeing Micah Hyde do that anymore. I love Micah Hyde back there. I understand completely why Sean McDermott trusts him to catch the ball because who are you going to trust more than Micah Hyde on the bills to catch the ball? Nobody, but nobody, no interest in seeing our all pro safety out there catching punts, particularly in the regular season. So let's let Shakir do that. I think McKenzie for as exciting as he is on the good plays, it's just a little bit of a dice roll and a carnival act when he's back there, especially on like windy days. We'll see what happens with Marquez Stevenson. It's going to be a big training camp for him. 
Um, but I think Shakir is going to be right there in the mix for the punt returner. So very good pick. Hard to say anything negative about it. The analysts love it. You know, the comps are, you know, kind of an eye roll when you're talking about Cooper Cup and Debo Samuel and Robert Woods. But man, I have some high hopes for him. I, I think this is a guy that will make the roster and has a good chance of uh, being impactful on special teams and as a depth wide receiver. So the Bills then follow up the Khalil Shakir pick with another guy we wanted them to pick, although with an asterisk. I think every fan base at this point in the league was wanting their team to pick this guy. Luca, the Bills came away with punt god at pick number 180. Matariza out of San Diego State. You have been on this guy since our very first episode. And I'll just say that as the pick is getting closer, I put out a tweet and said, I think they're going to take the punt god. And two punters had already gone off the board. And there are some issues with him. Like, yes, we joked about him being the best punting prospect ever. He does have one of the strongest legs. There are some flaws. We can get into that. But when you look at what Brandon Bean likes to do on day three of the draft, he has said time and time again on day three, he's looking for guys that have a realistic path to making the roster. He doesn't want to just set a draft pick on fire with somebody he doesn't even think can beat out what he has on his depth chart. Well, hello, Matt Hawk. I think there's a spot there to be won. Secondly, if you look back when the Bills took Tyler Bass two years ago, they took him in the 180s. The Bills were at pick 180. So you know this is a team that's been willing to take a specialist that high if they think he's a special prospect. The third thing, Matt Hawk restructured his contract this offseason, which normally when you hear the word restructure, you're like, oh man, so he's going to be here. But really that restructure took out some of his guarantees, making him expendable this camp if they bring in competition. All of that led me to believe that if the punt god was on the board, he would be the pick. Luca, the punt god was on the board. He was the pick. I'm going to let you break it down because he's been your guy from the get-go. Love it. If I have never been more excited about a sixth round pick in my life. I can say that with almost certainty. I I was, uh, I was. I remember, this is going to be one of those, I remember where I was moments. I was at a bar, local bar, Elmo's, uh, getting ready for a Bandit's uh, reg- regular season finale the next day after the Sabres won. Uh, drinking with some buds and pick 180 comes there. When Matt Reyes' name was up on there, I was ecstatic. And the entire bar, let me preface this, the entire bar there, I think at that point there was about 40-ish, maybe hitting 50. I don't know. We'll, we'll say 40-ish because I want to say it was in that ballpark. Every one of them was happy with the pick. And I feel like that's a weird thing about a sixth round pick. But at the same time, you have to understand why because we got Legatron, man. We got the punk god. And it's it it definitely to me signals unless a, a craziness happens, Matt Hawk's time as a bill is over. Uh I don't understand why. And then I'm gonna just immediately address any of the online knocks or just in general what people had said and what probably made him fall to this point. Um, the biggest one is that he doesn't know how to hold or he really just is not good at holding place kicks. First point, he has been the best kicker at every point in his life. Why would he be the one holding? So, of course, he doesn't know how to do it. And two, the comp, if we love playing this game for him, is Pat McAfee. And the funniest part about that is Pat McAfee straight up has admitted that he essentially lied to the Colts that he knew how to hold place kicks only to be drafted by the Colts and not know how to hold place kicks. So, what did Vinatieri do once he learned about this? He sent him to a placehold 
teacher. And he learned how to hold kicks for probably the greatest kicker of all time. And it worked pretty well if uh, we all look back and think about it. I think uh, Pat McAfee had a pretty long career as a Colt holding for Vinatieri his entire time. I think that uh, that went well. So I think that knock on him is kind of ridiculous in a sense. I feel like you can teach players how to hold. Now, with all that said, obviously we cut a punter, it seems like, or didn't resign. I can't remember what happened with Borquez and then brought in Matt Hawk, who was supposed to be in for his holding prowess. Right. Clearly that did not work out well in the long run. Uh, the overall picture of it is, well, we all hate him for how he sucks as a punter and I don't want to hate on him. He's an ASU alum as well. So I'm going to end my hate on Matt Hawk there, but, um, it can be taught. It, it, it clearly can be taught. And the other thing is hang time. And I, and this is a great one because it's going to bring up a conversation I had at the bar with a good friend of mine, Joel. And he was like, well, if his hang time's bad, I mean, returners can return it back on, on us. I'm like, look, the bills will not be punting once if they cross miss midfield. I'll, I'll even say the 48 yard line on their own end, depending on the game, depending on the circumstance, they're not going to be punting the ball. And then if they get to the point where the ball is, let's say, on the 35, they're probably attempting field goals if it's a third and long or they're going for it still at that point, of course. So they're going to be going for it in all that circumstance. So realistically, you're only thinking the Bills are going to be punting. Let's say if a drive stalls three and out, you know, at the 25, at the 20, getting pinned inside our own end, whatever you want to call that. I don't give a shit if he has no hang time, if he's booting the ball 85 yards down the field. I don't care. Realistically, it's not going to be 85 yards every time, but let's say it's 65 yards, it's 70 yards, whatever it is. The average, the best average per punt in the NFL last year, I want to say was right at 51 yards per punt. Okay. And let's say we go three and out at the 25. If this individual has the ability to punt that with wind at his back, 70 something yards, that's going out the end zone, that net punt is 50 yards. Who is not going to sign up for a 50-yard punt? I, I I don't understand who would not sign up for that. You guarantee that they have to start at their own. Actually, if it's out of the end zone, sorry, my math is bad. That would be 55-yard because they'd start at their 20, not 25. So that's a 55-yard punt if it right. went out the back of the end zone. Everyone's signing up for that. I don't know one individual that doesn't sign up for that. There's zero threat of it being returned for a touchdown, and they have to start pinned on their own 20. No complaints here. Thank you very much. Have a good day. I don't care if it was in the air for a collective three seconds because his leg is too goddamn strong. I do not care. If it's out the back of the end zone at that point in time, everybody wins. Well, not the other team. We win. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't understand the criticism. I That's how I look at it. Now, obviously, that's with a dynamic offense. Again, as I said, anytime we approach midfield, essentially, we're going to be probably going for it, barring any crazy, you know, fourth and 20 or whatever, based on penalties and crap like that. Right. And those are going to be your outliers. Those are going to be the 15 punts. We'll call it 20 punts a year where you would like a coffin corner punter or whatever you want to call it. But you just you pick your poison, man. You can't have everything. Not everyone is going to be the greatest punter of all time. Clearly. I mean, if, if there were 32 goat punters, um, I, I, that would be weird to me. There's, <laughs> there's only like four good punters in the league every year. So just give me one that has an absolute cannon of a leg booted as hard. I would honestly, if it's third and 23 and stuff like that, it, it, like, and you are just living and dying with this dude who's booting it. 
just don't even let them have a threat of because you you know shanked it or something like that kick it as hard as you want kick it into the you know the into the scoreboard all i give a shit obviously the net yardage wouldn't be great depending on where you are field position wise but i don't care we shouldn't be punting in the first place and if the consequence of our punter is he punts it too hard i'm very okay with this so i will end my rent there very happy with the pick love everything that this you know basically brings us in the special teams and i am absolutely for the brand on this one i love it i am i could not be more excited it, we have legatron it's awesome well you said he's not the greatest punter of all time but i that is within his range of outcomes like that's how strong his leg is and yes there are some issues there um the matt hawk thing is real because they didn't want to replace matt hawk because he was a fantastic holder and you know you look at where he's been holders before i think jason saunders in miami had his best season when matt hawk was the holder uh, tyler bass had his best season when matt hawk was the holder so there's something to be said for that. And you certainly understand why the Bills didn't want to make that change mid-season and risk Tyler Bass. Look, I love the punt god. Tyler Bass is a bigger priority to me than the punter. So if for whatever reason he just can't hold or they can't get that down and Tyler Bass goes from one of the best kickers in the league to a guy that's shanking kicks left and right, sorry, punt god, you got to go. I am not predicting that happens, though. Let's not confuse can't do with hasn't been asked to do. Like Lucas said, he has been the starting place kicker on every football team he's been on. That speaks to how strong his leg is and how unique his leg is. So not having the experience of being a holder doesn't mean he can't do it. Another thing, RAS score wise, he is a very, very, very good athlete. I was playing around with his RAS score moved him to linebacker, and he's still rated at like a six. So I'm not telling you he's going to be a linebacker, but I am telling you he is a professional athlete who happens to punt. He is that good of an athlete. I'm pretty sure that with a full offseason, he can master the art of holding, catching, and putting a ball down on the ground for a kicker. I'm not minimizing how important that is. It's very important. But let's give this kid a chance to learn it before we just assume he can't do it. And I'm going to bet on him being able to do it. To your point on the hang time, I think it is concerning. Um, but again, are we confusing can't do with not being asked to do? For all we know, his college coach could have just said, hey, boom it. And he boomed it. And his net average was great because a lot of times he was down there making the tackle. And it's not because a big return popped and he was the last line of defense. He was beating his own players down there. Um, I I think this pick is, it would be to me, and you don't want to say this about a sixth round pick too often. I think it would be a tremendous upset if he didn't make this team. I think he's going to have an entire offseason to learn how to hold. I am perfectly fine with how good I think this team is going to be if they let him suffer through any growing pains of, learning how to change the angle of launch angles on his kicks. I know Pat McAfee said that he has a unique drop. So he's a left footed punter. And my understanding is if you're, you're off hand from your foot is the hand you normally drop the ball with when you're punting. And he actually drops it with his left hand and kicks it with his left foot, which my understanding is it kind of slows the process down a little bit, 
which gives him maybe a little bit more susceptibility to having it blocked. To me, like not being the punting expert, I think this is all stuff that now that he's a professional football player, he doesn't have to worry about field goals. He doesn't have to worry about going to class. He can literally just work on this. And you know, he has the super strong cannon leg. And it's not like Josh Allen, who had the strongest arm in the world, but had to also worry about reading a defense and dissecting a blitz and throwing a ball accurately. Like Josh Allen had a cannon arm. Matt Ariza has a cannon leg and there's really not much else in the job description besides kick it far and kick it accurate. So I have high hopes for this pick. It made total sense in the sixth round and I would be stunned if he doesn't beat out Matt Hawk. I think it would take a situation where he just, he can't get the holding down and it's a problem. And I might even predict Luca as silly as this sounds. If he's struggling with holding that they carry Matt Hawk as a, as a holder and still let Matt Ariza be the punter, just because I think that they have that mm-hmm. high of hopes for him as a prospect. You've seen teams in the past, Joe, uh, Joe Marino brought this up on locked on bills. You've seen teams in the past use a kickoff specialist that would kind of be like a holding specialist. I wouldn't expect that to be any kind of long-term answer, but if they break training camp and they're still like, man, I don't know if he's really ready to be the holder yet. I don't think they're going to cut bait on this guy that has this historically strong leg. I think they would make a roster spot to like, okay, Matt Hawk, you handle the holding. Let's get Matt Ariza like out there punting. And then let's also just keep trying to school him up on holding. I think this is a guy they want to make their roster. And this pick made a lot of sense. So spent a lot of time on a punter there. Not enough. These next, (laughs) these next three picks we're talking about sixth round 185, sixth round 209, seventh round 231. We're not going to spend a half an hour on each one of these. Let's just hit them kind of quickly. At pick 185, the Bills get another cornerback, Christian Benford, and he's from Villanova. And Luca, I think we brought this up on the podcast that we wouldn't be surprised if the Bills double dipped at cornerback this year, but we wouldn't expect it to be similar to Greg Rousseau and Boogie Basham from last year, where it was round one and round two, or even round one and round three. We thought it'd be more of Round one, round two, and then round five, round six. And here we go. We get Christian Bedford in the sixth round. Six foot, ran a 4-4-6, 40, has 31-inch arms. He has all the traits in the world. And similar to Kair Elam, is a ball hawk. Now, he played it at a lower-level school. Um, we love his ball skills. He's also a very good tackler. To me, this is a guy that is a worthwhile pick, has excellent traits, and is just a guy that McDermott and Frazier can coach up. And if nothing else, he's a guy that's going to be really good at special teams. That's also on his resume. So what I think is happening here is the Bills got Kyrie Elam. They obviously have Tredavious White. They have Dane Jackson under contract for a couple more years. They have Teron Johnson locked up for a couple more years. I think they wanted to replenish the bottom end of this depth chart. Like, no offense to Cam Lewis and the guys they brought in last year who were sitting there, Elijah Griffin. I think the Bills really wanted to refuel the bottom of it with athletes. And this is just another athlete. They wanted a guy that could run and has skills. I don't think this is a guy that's going to be active on game day. If he is, it'll be for special teams. Um, maybe he'll have a great camp and surprise us and be active, and that would be fantastic. But when you look at it right now, it's just hard to find a spot for him when you see Trey White, Kair Elam, Teron Johnson and um, Dane Jackson, pretty much all guaranteed roster spots. Now, look, he could beat out Dane Jackson. Dane Jackson is not some kind of like superstar player by any means. And then Saran Neal for his special teams also being that game day active fifth corner. 
I think this guy is probably not is going to struggle to get a shirt on game day. I think he's probably going to be inactive for most of his rookie year. But hey, this is a fun ball of clay to have. I would predict he makes the roster or at least the practice squad, um, maybe more so the roster, because I think they've seen now that they can go ahead and put Cam Lewis on the practice squad. and Nobody's going to snipe him. Um, so interesting, interesting prospect for uh, McDermott and Frazier to try to build up because they've had some success with DB. So anytime they want to draft an athletic defensive back for McDermott and Frazier to try to mold, I'm all for it. So I thought this was a good pick. Yeah, I mean, not to spend a much a lot of time on it, like, much time on it, uh, as you said. Um, yeah, the physical attributes are there. I, I do. I, I really do think the thing that stood out to me when I just like did a quick search on him, I honestly didn't even realize I knew Villanova had a football program. You kind of have to with the NCAA rules. It was just like, oh, wow, we drafted a football player from Villanova. That's not exactly the first thing I think of with Villanova, but um, looked him up real quick and excellent tackler exceptional at special teams. Those were the two things I saw repetitively. And I was like, wow, that's an interesting thing to bring up immediately. Cause of course, as we've talked about, you know, McDermott and them love defensive backs that are willing to tackle. And then if this guy actually turns out to, let's say, be a special teams ace, let's say he turns out to be a Justin Bethel. I mean, you see other teams around the league that value that guy. I mean, new England right around the corner there. That's what they love. They love their special teams aces. Bill Belichick, cannot you know emphasize enough how much he loves those guys that's why justin bethel somehow still has a job because if you ask me justin bethel should no longer be in the nfl and he should have been gone eight years ago but apparently he is that good at special teams that he keeps finding jobs and that's it i mean hey whatever pays the bills and whatever gets it done i mean we might be looking at a hold specialist as we just talked about and <laughs> I would love to know how much he'd be making just to hold a football on a place kick, not devaluing it. It's just a wild concept to think of from the outside in. But if he can make the team and be a, I don't want to say impact because it's special teams still. And I know it's a special teams is still important. It's one of the three phases of football, but if he can actually make the team and be notable on special teams, what more could you ask for from a sixth round pick? I'm all for it. I think that that path is there. I mean, every season that path is always there for anyone that comes into the building. I mean, an undrafted free agent could potentially like wow them, you know, come early on in the offseason and they're like, oh, wow, maybe this is someone we put on the 90 and we need to see if we can keep he can keep excelling at special teams come preseason week one. And if he keeps doing well, you never know. You could always make a team that way. It's just, yeah, I think it's a good usage of the pick like like you brought up and I'll end it here. They they clearly see something in this guy. They can bring into the building, hopefully mold into something. And if it doesn't work out, it's a sixth round pick, of course, but they clearly see at least something in this player that is worth bringing them into the organization, bringing them into the building and spending a sixth round. One of your assets, we'll call it one of your picks on. And that's good enough for me. I think his path to making their roster is better than most other sixth round picks. And here's why. Tredavious White's injury is probably going to put him right up on the nose of being ready for opening day. If this kid comes in and impresses in training camp and preseason and looks like a guy that has some staying power and they feel like, you know what, he's somebody that we think could actually hold down the fort. That gives the Bills some flexibility to be like, hey, Trey, we love you. We want you back, but we want you back right. We're going to start you on six week PUP. And that creates an extra roster spot for somebody like a Christian Benford. I think the Bills 
probably if the, if anybody, if it's Dane Jackson, if it's Cam Lewis, if it's Elijah Griffin, if anybody gives them the confidence that, Hey, we can survive with the cornerbacks we have. I think they would love to start Trey white on PUP just to make sure he's fully ready to come back when he's ready to come back. And that just gives Christian Benford one extra roster spot if he can impress. And one other thing Brandon Bean mentioned is he was asked if if Benford is somebody that could also play safety. And Bean said, yes, he does have the skill set to do that. They're going to start him at corner. But what's interesting, he also said, he's like, hey, Micah Hyde started at corner and now he's playing safety. I thought that was interesting. So interesting defensive back to add to the mix. Never against adding a young a young cornerback to the mix. I think the Bills should do it probably every year, especially with the hit rate that McDermott and Frazier have had. In the other sixth round pick, the Bills drafted an offensive tackle out of Virginia Tech, Luke Tenuta, who is six foot nine, 322 pounds, but he has very, very short arms. He is a tackle. His RAS score was very low, but reading up on him, it seems like he had something going on either at the combine and when he reran the test at his pro day, his RAS score did improve. Um, but just reading into it, I guess they don't update RAS based on individual pro days. So his RAS score, if you look it up, is going to be pretty low. Um, I don't hate this pick, Luca. To me, you know, we talked about all along that what happens if Deion Dawkins goes down? What happens if Spencer Brown goes down? Who is that third tackle? You have Tommy Doyle, who you've been developing for a year. You have, obviously, um, Quisenberry that you signed from the Titans, who may be more of a right tackle than a left tackle. I'm not saying this kid's going to come in and be your swing tackle, but in the sixth round, take a shot. You never know if you're going to strike gold. So to me, it's a worthwhile pick. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to keep this real short and sweet. A sixth round pick on an offensive lineman, I think, is an offensive lineman. They're going to bring him in. I mean, obviously, physically, he seems to be massive, you know, and it's funny when you hear, oh, he's six foot nine, but he's got short arms. It's like, how short are his arms at six foot nine that people view him to have short arms? Obviously, they're measuring it out and they're just saying proportionately and everything like that. They're short. I mean, it maybe it's a standard fixed metric as well. And they're short, which then what the hell happened? But um, it, it it's like it's an offensive lineman you bring in, see what he can do easily could be just, Hey, you're not going to make the roster right now. Maybe you'll throw him on the practice squad. I, I don't know. I mean, it's weird to say that you're going to throw a six foot nine individual that could be somewhat athletic on the practice squad. You would think maybe another team would want to bring it in and scoop it up. But at the same time, if there's a, there's gotta be a reason he was the 209th pick in the end in NFL draft. Like I, it, you're going to see what you got in it. I'm, I'm not going to, put a lot of weight in it. I'm not going to lock him in as always could potentially be a swing tackle. I, I, it's a, it's a good mindset to have with it. I think it's a good, you know, that's probably where their heads were at, but it's a late sixth round pick. I'm, I I don't want to spend too much time on it, to be honest. It's, you brought an offensive lineman, just another body in the mix. Let's see what he's got. Hey, maybe you struck gold. You never know, right? That's, that's kind of what I'll wrap it up as it's, it's, you never know if he struck gold. It seems like he has some athletic ability when it comes to his physical means at six foot nine. And I think he, I mean, I don't think he's, you know, huge by any means for being that size of height. You know, maybe he is a little bit athletic. Maybe he's more athletic than his, uh, you know, his combine and everything put him to be like his metrics. Right. So just see what you got. If it doesn't work out, 
you either cut them, you put them on the practice squad, whatever it is, and see if you can develop it from there. You never know. I think it was Anthony from Cover One and Kendall Merksey that said when they dove into this pick, they actually really liked his tape quite a bit, which is encouraging. To me, he just represents another body that is between Bobby Hart getting on the field, which is never a bad thing. I think if the Bills had their way, Tommy Doyle, after a year of development and getting him on the field in spurts as as kind of that tight end, that, that big tight end um, playing in place of Tommy Sweeney, would be ready to be the swing tackle. Um, I think Quisenberry would be their plan B. And this guy, uh, Luke Tenuta, is probably a plan C. And I'm okay with that. Take a swing. Tackle is a huge position. If you strike gold, boom. If not, no harm, no foul. And with the last pick of the Bills draft, number 231, this is the pick that they got from Atlanta for Lee Smith, is Balin Specter, linebacker from Clemson. And Luca, sitting here today, I think Balin Specter makes the team, and I'll tell you why. He has similar size. Um, well, actually, he's bigger than the guy they got in the third round, Bernard. He's 6'2", 230 pounds. Um, he is described as a special teams dynamic player by the Draft Network's uh, Joe Marino. And why is that important? Well, if you draft a guy in the seventh round, you have him on a four-year deal. So if he can come in and never develop into anything more than a backup linebacker but is awesome on special teams, if you look at it right now on the Bills' depth chart, they can save about $2.5 million from cutting Tyler Matikiewicz, who's also going into the last year of his deal. So if you get Balin Specter in there and he's like, man, he's as good on special teams in the pros as he was in college, uh, we can let Matikiewicz go and save nearly $3 million. Andre Smith, another linebacker that's just here for his special teams ability, um, you know, where you talk about all the time, the Bills are a team now that has a franchise quarterback. They have one of the most expensive wide receivers in the game. They have Von Miller. They have Tredavious White. They have Jordan Poyer looking for a new deal. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds is going to get a new deal. Ed Oliver is going to get a new deal. Dawson Knox could get a new deal. Deion Dawkins is expensive. Mitch Morris is expensive. They're going to have to save costs somewhere. And that cost might be that you need your special teams aces to no longer be the veterans like Saran Neal, Taiwan Jones, Tyler Matikiewicz, Andre Smith. Those guys are all here for 2022. But you're going to start needing some of these draft picks that are here. I hate to use this term, but cheap labor for the next four years um, to, to be that. So you have Balin Specter, you have um, Christian Benford, who we talked about. To another extent, you have Terrell Bernard. You have a bunch of guys that project very nicely as special teamers. You, we talked about Khalil Shakir and his return ability. People, we obviously have the punk god. Um, people kind of roll their eyes at special teams, but Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have proven they prioritize special teams. In the seventh round, if you can get a guy that makes you feel better about letting your two and a half million dollar special teams linebacker go or letting Andre Smith go, or maybe next time next year, you don't feel the need to bring back a Saran Neal or a Taiwan Jones because now Christian Benford can be one of your gunners. I, I think it makes the world of sense. So I am much more confident in Balin Specter being a uh, member of the Bills roster than I even am Luke Tenuta, who was taken in the sixth round. Yeah, you painted that picture perfectly. Um, I don't have much more to add. I, I would agree with that last point you just made there. Um, yeah, it, I, I would just put it as simple as this kind of to emphasize what you said. 
the rookie minimum, especially at seventh round, is much more inexpensive than the veteran minimum. And you got to pinch pennies anywhere you can. And this is clearly a great spot to try, right? And if this guy can be that impact guy to even take the place of Medikavish or whoever that is kind of filling that role at this point in time, Andre Smith, whatever it may be, I'm all on board with it because let's save money wherever we can and just still like let the system, let the special teams run as it is. I mean, yeah, a seventh round pick is not a, that's not a place you're expecting to get any notable player, but as you said, I mean, special teams and I, I even kind of like, I kind of, I don't want to say I shit on it earlier, but you know, I'm not giving it the respect it's due, you know, except if I'm talking about Legatron, but, um, it's, it's still important. It's one of the three phases of the game. There's a reason that even, you know, as you brought up, McDermott cares about it and they, they value it, but I mean, Bill Belichick, one of the most successful coaches of all time, he brings up special teams all the time and he looks at the intricacies of it. And the reason he goes and pays that special team ace when it comes to a Bethel who's a gunner, you know, or he he always gets left footed punters, you know, things like that. Right. It's an important part of the game. It, It matters. It's you have to run a play on special teams. That means it matters. So however, you can still have it be a successful unit while also maybe finding a way to help it with the you know cost of the team overall and the roster, that's great because we have a quarterback that's you know costing a lot of money. We have a receiver that's going to cost a lot, of, or it does cost a lot of money, potentially maybe another offensive weapon that's going to cost a lot of money, whether that's Gabe Davis or Dawson Knox or whatever. You know The, the, the salaries are going to add up, so how can we save money on the back end? And this could maybe be that great pick, as you brought up great way to wrap it up here on the draft and all the picks that were made. So eight picks in total, you have four defense, three offense, and one punter. I think the bills did fairly well for themselves in the coming weeks. Luca, you and I will go into some more deep dives on the depth chart. What, what we'd still like to see the bills address before they all report for our training camp um, in July slash August. I think there's still some work to be done on this roster. And that's where a guy like a bail inspector could free up a spot where like right now, maybe you're penciling in a Jake Kumaro because of what he brings on special teams. But if you feel good about Bale Inspector, maybe you could bring in a wide receiver like a Will Fuller who doesn't offer anything on special teams, but could offer a different dimension to the offense. So that's a really good look. I think, I think we did a good job of uh, breaking down the bills draft class and everything that went into that. Um, there were 31 other teams, Luca who picked players this week. So it wasn't just the bills that got better. And that is going to be the theme of our big three draft this week. And we are going to pick which picks we liked from opposing teams. Luca, it just dawned on me. Is it my week to ask the trivia question or is it yours? It is your week. Absolutely. Okay. Well, what if I told you that I hadn't thought of a trivia question and that's okay (laughs) because Luca... I am going to come up with one on the fly, which means oh, it's boy. probably going to be kind of easy for you. Yeah, that's all right. What quarterback started the game in Rex Ryan's first game as Bill's head coach? What quarterback? I mean, it can't be that easy, is it? I mean, I, the first name that comes to mind is Tyrod Taylor. But 
Let me think real here. I mean, we brought in, did we bring in Matt Castle at the same time? Mm, I'm trying to think. Rex Ryan was 2015. Yeah, 2015. 2015. Yeah, I'm 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 you know what? I'm going to keep it simple if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but you know, since you came up with it on the fly, I'm just going to go with Tyrod Taylor. Great guess. Should have been the correct answer. Tyrod Taylor made his first career start. Well, I want to walk that back. Maybe he started a game as a backup for the Ravens at some point in time. I think he might have. He made his first career Bills start in week 2 of that season against Miami. Tyrod Taylor played every snap of that Bills game against the Colts, but why wasn't he the starter, Luca? Because oh. the very first play of the game, Matt Castle lined up behind center and pitched it to Tyrod Taylor, who then pitched it to LaShawn McCoy, who then got tackled for like a seven-yard loss. You got me with my own question a week later, basically. Yep, I did. Wow. Very impressive. So yeah, Matt Castle gets credit for starting and Tyrod Taylor didn't get credit for starting. And if QB wins is a stat, he doesn't get credit for that either because he wasn't the starter on record. I will go second this week. I think there is a lot of value on this board, obviously 32 teams, 32 picks every round. um, And then compensatory picks, a lot to choose from here. So I am perfectly content to punt and the name of the punt God, the ball to you and let you go first. Ah, uh, okay. First pick. I'm not first pick often, but I think I think I got to go with who I believe to be my number one when it comes to, and I just want to start with. My criteria is not only just value at the pick they were taken, but also in regards to, because this is our favorite non-Bills draft picks from this past draft. And of course, if I'm talking about myself, I'm also looking at it as how is it going to impact the league around the teams that I like, right? So, of course, you know, let me just say that there's certain picks that when it comes to the value I loved as an NFL fan, but as a fan of the team that I am, not a big fan of at all, right? So, with all of that in mind, my first pick, the first pick of this big three game is going to be the 27th overall pick, which was taken by the Jacksonville Jaguars as they traded back up to grab this individual because I cannot believe he was sitting there at 27. And that is the linebacker out of Utah and Devin Lloyd. I do not understand why he was still there. The Patriots at 21 have the audacity to not only not take this individual, but trade back with the chiefs. When I, I will be honest, 21, or I should say, yeah, 21 comes to the plate and Devin Lloyd is still on the board. I'm thinking Devin Lloyd should have already been gone at that rate. Right. I'm thinking, you know, they're going to look at a Nicobe Dean. We talked about it in our previous pod with the mock draft and I'm like, Oh shit, the Patriots are about to get Devin Lloyd. And that will be a very big problem for the bills going forward. Cause I think he could be a phenomenal linebacker for the bill Belichick defense for years and years, but they trade back. And that was probably the biggest sigh of relief I've ever had watching a draft. It was just, Oh, thank you, God. So then he falls and I'm like, Oh my God, the Patriots are going to luck out. They traded all the way back to 29 and somehow Devin Lloyd is still going to be there. All of a sudden, there's been a trade. Jacksonville has traded up to the 27th pick. I didn't write a note of who that was. I can't remember. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Cause they, tra- right. They traded uh, the, they moved with their second round early pick. Um, so anyways, thank you. Uh, Jacksonville trades up and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who the hell are Jacksonville going after? Cause obviously their needs are just 
everything essentially, except franchise quarterback at this point. And they draft Devin Lloyd. I'm like, that makes total sense. And honestly, in a weird way, this just justified them just a little bit of cutting Miles Jack. It's like, boom, plug and play. Here is now your new Miles Jack. And, and in my opinion, slightly better. I don't know how much of a hot take that is, but I really do believe Devin Lloyd is going to be a great linebacker in this league. He's going to be a commander in this league. I don't know how good that will be with the Jacksonville Jaguars or, you know, I mean, it remains to be seen if they will ever be any sort of relevance ever since 2018, but he is a phenomenal player that somehow fell all the way to 27. So both with the value and the circumstance, he has to be my number one pick. I just think that was an unbelievable win for Jacksonville and they are lucky to have such a dominant, potentially dominant linebacker in this league that late in the draft. I like that pick a lot. Devin Lloyd to me, like, you know, I've said my piece about off ball linebackers. I don't think they're game changers, but when you're a team like Jacksonville that has such a poor roster overall and has been so mismanaged up until this point, what you just need is you need solid football players and they rolled the dice in a big way with Trevon Walker first overall, there were safer available options there with like Aiden Hutchinson or if they wanted to go with one of the tackles like Akima Kwanu or Evan Neal, they rolled the dice on upside traits. I don't view Devin Lloyd as a roll of the dice. I think he's a guy who's going to wear the green dot. He's going to be their Tremaine Edmonds and, you know, say what you want, maybe hopefully better than Tremaine Edmonds for them, even though Tremaine Edmonds has been fine. They got their quarterback of their offense last year with Trevor Lawrence. I think Devin Lloyd's going to be the quarterback of their defense for the next five to 10 years. Solid pick all around. And I echo everything you said. I'm happy that it didn't go to New England. So I will go with my first pick now. And my first pick is not even going to be a first round pick. We talked about this last week or the week before. No, we talked about this on our mock draft episode. The Pittsburgh Steelers were on the clock. And I believe we mocked them. Who was it? Devontae Devontae Wyatt. Wyatt. And my logic was the Steelers have a crying need for wide receiver. But the Steelers historically do not draft wide receivers in the first round. They trust their scouts. They trust what they see. And they have a history of hitting tremendous value in the second, third, fourth, fifth rounds. They did it with Emmanuel Sanders. They did it with Juju, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Antonio Brown. It is just a long, long list of success that even predates Mike Tomlin. Like they were doing this with Antoine Randall, Heinz Ward, Plaxico Burris. It's amazing. And I think they did it again this year. I love what they did on day three with Calvin Austin, but this isn't the guy I'm talking about. I'm talking about George Pickens on day two. George Pickens could have been a first round pick if not for his injury and some attitude issues that I don't think scare the Pittsburgh Steelers based on some of the players they believed in in the past. I think George Pickens walks right into Pittsburgh and challenges Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool for catches. You know, they have their issues. Chase Claypool's a head case. Deontay Johnson gets open like crazy, but has trouble catching the ball. I think George Pickens at his best can be as good or better than both of those guys. And I think a lot of Deontay Johnson, but to me, this is a home run pick for the Steelers. They get a guy that can stretch the field. They get a guy that can, I think, I think can be their future X and they needed a receiver in the worst way because Juju left James Washington left and Deontay Johnson is wanting a new contract. And is what we've seen around the NFL. Now the trend is 
a lot of these teams are letting these receivers go. Cough, cough, Tennessee, cough, cough, Kansas City. Um, they don't want to pay these receivers. So if Pittsburgh has that thought about Deontay Johnson, they have George Pickens ready to step in. I will say one caveat, it is easy to look smart taking receivers when your quarterback is Ben Roethlisberger in his prime. They don't have that right now. They have Mitch Trubisky. They drafted Kenny Pickett. They hope that works out. So maybe they're not going to be as successful moving forward until they find that answer at quarterback that they hope is Kenny Pickett. But uh, I loved everything about the George Pickens pick. I was hoping he would fall to the Bills. Wasn't meant to be. He went to Pittsburgh, and I can't hate on that pick at all. So I I understand. Let me. This might be the first time ever in the Big Three game that I might have to take a little bit extra time rebuttaling your pick or just responding to it Ooh, because this is, the, this is the first time I will disagree with your pick. But this is only my personal thing because I know there are a ton of people out there that are sharing every sentiment you had. One of my great friends, one of my oldest friends, Owen, he was a massive fan of his. He wa- that was he told me uh, him and Calvin Austin the third were the two guys that he wanted the Bills to really take at the point that they should be taken. And I am not a fan, you know. And I didn't want to say anything negative about him pre-draft and stuff like that. And it's just not my type here. It's not my, but I I raised the red flags and all that kind of crap and all this stuff and the skill set and everything about him. You know what he screams to me? He screams to me, Martavis Bryant. That is what he screams to me. He, in which ironically enough, he was taken by the Steelers. You Um, hate his personality that much? I hate his personality that much. I think he is such a problem. I mean, there's a clip and and people love this and I you know at the time I you know when you look at it in a in a vacuum it was funny to see on a football field but there's a clip of him against Michigan and I can't remember who he's lined up against as a defensive back but he shushes the sideline he absolutely blows this DB up and then the play is still happening and he takes the time to then again shush the sideline and you know it's a run inside that goes for like three yards so obviously it's not an an important play but what that tells to me is that his character and the person that he is is easy enough to get in the head of on the sideline and i don't that that's a mentally fragile person he's gotten in fights with teammates coaches say he is literally a bad teammate that's a mentally fragile person that i want nowhere near any team of mine i just do not like that I think the person is almost more important than the player they are. I think you can correct that. And as you pointed out, if there is an organization that has shown to take basket cases and at least get the best out of them as a football player, boy, have the Steelers shown that in aces. Like they have tons of just records showing that Antonio Brown, uh, Le'Veon Bell, just the two most recent names I can think of. But I mean, they, there is just a long history of it, right? and they keep it in-house, you never hear about it, and they just keep winning football games. I think that is the absolute, that is the credit, everything that can be given to Mike Tomlin. I think that is just, that is why Mike Tomlin is an unbelievable man manager and just unbelievable head coach in the NFL. But to kind of wrap up this rant I'm going on, it is why I disagree because I just do not believe he will even be in the league come four years. I just don't. I don't see a path to him having a long-term success in the NFL. I just don't. 
he is going to be too much of a problem. It's just not going to work out. He's going to be, his production will not outweigh his issues as a person. And he will be stuck in those ways where, I mean, I think Martavis Bryant right now is in this, you know, just got cut in the CFL at the age of 30. And he's probably still a very good talent. It seems like that's the kind of player that Pickens is going to be. So I understand the pick. I think it's a great first pick if you look at the value and you don't have those kinds of feelings on that player. But in the first time ever in the big three game, I disagree. I don't like it myself. I respect everything you're saying. I think that if his personality is that bad, he could be out of the league. And I will warn other teams in the league, if the Steelers call you up in a couple of years and offer to trade him to you, don't take him. Trading for a <laughs> Pittsburgh receiver that they've given up on has not worked out for anybody. Santonio Holmes was okay in New York, but then just kind of fizzled out. Antonio yeah. Brown, do I need to show you the highlight of him dancing with his shirt off in the in the middle of the end zone in New York after the Raiders had to cut him after trading for him and then New England had to cut him a couple weeks later? And they also traded Martavius Bryant. So the one guy who's got out of Pittsburgh that had a good career was Emmanuel Sanders, but he left just because his contract expired. It wasn't like they got rid of him. So I appreciate everything you're saying there, and I don't disagree with it. My second pick. I put myself in the shoes of the fans of that team. If I were a fan of that team, what pick would have gotten me the most excited at that moment? There's a team that I think on night one of the draft might have depressed their fans more than anybody. Oh, I know where you go. The Titans, they traded AJ Brown, their most exciting player, potentially on their entire roster, especially when you factor in his age. They drafted a superstar. And in this league, when you draft a superstar and they're at his age, you build your team around him. You don't trade him away. He wanted to stay in Tennessee. It was, I believe, the the, ten, the um, article that came out. Um, Teron Davenport said that um, he would have stayed for $22 million a year, which is peanuts compared to what the top wide receivers are getting. And the Titans got rid of him. If I was a fan, I'd be livid. What are we doing? What's the plan? Nothing that happened the rest of the draft made up for that gaffe, in my opinion. But if I'm a fan of the Titans, I'm going into Friday, just not sure what's going on. We have an aging quarterback. Our best player is our running back, who it feels like everybody in the world is predicting to be running on E right now, which he hasn't really shown that. When you look at his age and you look at the wear and tear on him, it's easy to predict. Defensively, they have some nice players in Jeffrey Simmons and Kevin Byard, but you know, it's not what you would consider one of the best defenses in the league. And what did you just do? You just traded away your best offensive weapon and best player. What am I supposed to believe in? I'll tell you what you can believe in. You can believe in Malik Willis, the quarterback out of Liberty in the third round. I didn't love any of these quarterbacks in the first round. I thought they were all reaches. You get to the third round though. You take a shot on this kid with that skill set. What I love most about that pick is if he doesn't work out next year, you draft another quarterback and nobody says anything. Malik Willis was a third round pick. You can toss them to the side and people forget all about it, but you might strike gold with him. There's not a lot of quarterbacks in the league that have his raw skills. And I know there's some height deficiencies there. I know there's some questions about whether or not he can read a defense fast, but in the third round, I would have been ecstatic if I was a Titans fan because up until that pick, I would have hated everything about draft weekend. You're supposed to get better in the draft and the Titans got worse by trading AJ Brown, but then they got themselves something to believe in 
And isn't that what the whole point of the draft is? To have belief, to believe in something. And I'm happy for Titans fans. I hate the team, hate the fans, but putting myself in their shoes, Malik Willis in the third round would have been a breath of fresh air. And I think based on the kind of prospect he is, that's probably about the value of where he should have been going the whole time. Great point to get a player like that. And let's see if you can get a lottery ticket quarterback and uh, just add another great young quarterback to the AFC. If it doesn't work out, you spend a third round pick. Who really cares? Man, that is a phenomenal pick. And if it wasn't for the second point of criteria I brought up when I made my Devin, before I made my Devin Lloyd pick, I should say, that would have been my first pick. The value in getting potentially a face of the franchise quarterback, because realistically, I mean, there's a reason people were saying that going into the draft. That is kind of where his ceiling is. He could potentially be a face of the franchise. He could be like a top 12 guy. Obviously, everyone always wants a top five guy. But I mean, you're sitting there with Tannehill. Tannehill's on his last leg. And if you just drafted a top 12 quarterback in the third round, that is the steal of the draft in some regards. And uh, to wrap this up quick, because I spent a lot of time on your first pick, it's really funny to me that you take him second after taking Pickens first, because I view uh, the Pickens one as too early. And I cannot believe that you had Malik fall to where he was. It's it's almost ironic in its way that (laughs) that is how that just worked out. Malik is overlooked again. (laughs) Exactly. And he was the third pick in our draft. Man, what? What synergy we just have going on here. But uh, yeah, that is a phenomenal pick. I, 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 Every point you made, if you put yourself in the Titans' shoes, I would be ecstatic with that. The value to what you just potentially got there, incredible. Okay, I had to take a deep breath there. Um, uh, there's a lot of ways I can go with this, and I, I really have to debate. And I'm just going to throw a little kicker out here. I, would, I really wanted to put Cole Strange on this somehow and and maybe that's who you end yours with so i won't go too far into it but i'm not going to do that and i'm going to start with and i only say him because he was the first name on my list for jokes um Uh, we should talk about that before we get off the air (laughs) okay we can um so my next pick you know what i'm gonna do it so my next pick is going to be what I just call my guy. He is a horse of mine that I have somehow found myself loving since I started this process of evaluating the talent all the way back in January. And I found out about his story. I don't need to go into it in too much length, but just for anyone that hasn't been listening, this is a guy who found himself playing wide receiver slash tight end, not even four years ago then molded himself into an offensive lineman, became a good draft-worthy offensive lineman where people actually had him in the first round of some of their box. That just tells you the type of prospect he was seen as by some. And it was funny because in January, I looked at him as like a day three, maybe get him in the fifth round for the Bills, could bring him in, see what you get. Maybe he could have been the Luke uh, Tenuta You know, he could have been that guy right there. And then all of a sudden he was flying up, you know, prospect big boards and mock drafts and all that kind of stuff. And he, again, was viewed as potentially a late first 
early second because his ability, maybe not necessarily to be a tackle in the NFL, but he could actually be an impact guard in the NFL. There are health concerns and things like that. I know that there's small flags that have been raised with that health and whatnot. And that is probably why he fell to where he was. But it actually became a situation that I think might be a perfect marriage, we'll call it. I think this is a pick that both the organization and for the player makes total sense. And honestly, do not be surprised if sooner rather than later, if all the health things work out and he can get to 100%, which I hope he does because I want this guy to be a beast, even though it wouldn't be great for the Bills. I'll also say that. But I want him to be a beast. He's my horse. He's my guy. I might even buy his jersey if he becomes an all-pro. But my pick has to be the 77th overall pick in this past draft by the Colts, and that is Bernard Raymond. He is my horse. He's my dog. He's my guy, and I have to take him here with my second pick. I think it's a tremendous pick. He was on my list, but I even told you before he went on the air that I wasn't going to take your guy from you. Um, The Colts get a lot of credit, deservedly so, as a team that should be in contention this year, I think Matt Ryan is largely viewed as an upgrade over Carson Wentz. But the elephant in the room all offseason, at least for me, looking on from the outside looking in, is who's going to play left tackle? They never really recovered from Anthony Costanzo retiring surprisingly two years ago. They brought in Eric Fisher from Kansas City last year, and he was really a shell of himself. This Colts offensive line gets a lot of credit for guys like Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson, obviously, um, but they have a huge hole at left tackle. Prior to the draft, the Colts would have been starting Matt Pryor at left tackle. That's just not going to cut it, especially when you factor in their quarterback as Matt Ryan, who as good as he is, and I still think he's pretty good, is a statue in the pocket. You need to be able to protect his blind side. I don't know if Bernard Raymond is going to end up being the starting left tackle for the Colts, but you mentioned it freakishly athletic has first round traits, just doesn't have the experience necessary to be in that first round conversation. And for the Colts to get him where they did, it was an absolute home run pick by them. I think it checked every box for what they need. I think he fell into their laps. I think he should have gone earlier. And for the Colts fans, that have been really wondering, okay, who's going to be blocking for Matt Ryan? I think you may have found your answer pretty late in the draft, and that is a very good thing for the Indianapolis Colts. Luca, you made the joke about Cole Strange. I unfortunately have to give the Patriots some credit. They did not do a lot of good things in this draft. They really didn't. They, they reached by almost all accounts in the first round. And then in the second round, they followed it up with what most experts say, another reach with Tyquan Thornton. But when you talk about my guy, in the third round, the Patriots got a guy that I am absolutely in love with. I never never thought he was a target for the Bills because he plays a position that's very specific, and it's a position that the Bills have locked up long-term with Taron Johnson. Marcus Jones was never going to be on the Bills' radar. But he is an instant starter for a secondary that needs a lot of help. They have Devin McCourty basically running on fumes. They lost J.C. Jackson in free agency. They brought back whatever is left of Malcolm Butler. This secondary needs a lot of help. And they got a lot of help on draft night. 
Marcus Jones is going to be their starting slot corner for the foreseeable future. And unfortunately, and I do expect the bills to be kicking off a lot to new England. Um, he is going to be a dynamic kick returner too. He's going to be what you consider a pain in the ass player where he makes plays on defense. He makes plays on fourth downs in the return game. It's just, I don't know why he fell that far. If it's because teams were just saying, hey, he's too small or we don't need a nickel. But for as bad as the Patriots did on draft night, and as much as they got mocked, I think they hit it out of the ballpark in round three with Marcus Jones. And while I hate the Patriots, I got to give them credit. That was a great pick and it broke my heart to see him go to them because I really, really, really wanted to root for him. And now I can't. I'm contractually obligated to root against the Patriots. I had a sense you were going to take him. I remember when you were saying that on draft, you were, I, um, was, I believe this is the pick that when it happened or you saw a spoiler for it on Twitter and you wanted yes. to make sure that you did. Yes, I knew it. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is that one. Yeah. And you were, I remember we were in the DMS and you, you were just like, you know, he's a great player. I knew the bills wouldn't be looking at him. It's not someone I'd be considering as you had just said, but you loved him. You know what? It was funny. Like I, <laughs> It's almost like Bill Belichick just got his Terrence McGee years and years later. He really did. That's a great call. Isn't it? It, it like when you were like, I love this guy and stuff. I was like, eh, I didn't know too much about him. So I kind of like just did a little more digging because I'm like, why does Josh like him? Because if Josh likes him, there's obviously something about him. And then I started really digging. I'm like, holy crap, this is like a Terrence McGee. They just literally drafted Terrence McGee. It seems like mm-hmm. <laughs> like they did. What the hell? <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen for our sake, but. It could happen, but uh, I'm also going to point out here that you just took uh, your third pick, uh, not snaked. Uh, I was supposed to have the my third pick before yours, but it. Oh God! Did I step on your toes there? <laughs> you, you did, but it's okay. Oh I wasn't going to take him anyways. I, it's okay. It's all right. I am going to wrap up this real quick, though. I am going to, and there are, and it gives me my my ability to be like, you know, there's Cole Strange, and you know, I also on my list, I have the likes of Christian Watson because, of course, Green Bay needed someone, and I think that marriage could really work. We talked about how he has unbelievable ceiling to him. That's not who I'm going to take. There's a guy like David Ajobo. I think that is one that the the Ravens could have potentially stolen an elite talent there just because of his injury. Unfortunately, that was ugh, super unfortunate. It just fell into their lap. And we know how the Ravens have done at that position specifically traditionally in the draft. And it generally goes well for them and not great for anyone else. But I'm not going to go with those guys because I feel like this is a segment where we just have to go with our guys, right? I mean, you went just with one of your guys. Mm-hmm. I went with one of my guys already. So how can I not? How can I not wrap this up with a bow that just makes me want to put a fork up in the air and just make me feel so good? And it's not only because he's an ASU alum and he's my dude. And honestly, the only player I really wanted to see where he went, because I just I'm really praying that he doesn't flame out in the NFL because it seems like every other guy at his position that has come from ASU that I'm like, man, he could be fun in the NFL has always just not worked out. But I think because of that, where he ended up, he could excel. And I think he could really be something in that team that is already a great team that is the second best Super Bowl betting odds currently right now in the NFL. And that is Tampa Bay. And I have to go with the 91st overall pick in Rashad White. And it just when I saw that pick happen, one, I was ecstatic. I was like, oh, my God. 
this is literally a perfect spot because the funniest thing to me is Rashad White, when someone was asking me, they're like, all right, Luca, obviously you watch more ASU probably than anyone else because ASU doesn't have real fans, you know, and I take that to heart, but <laughs> there are plenty of ASU fans and they're like, what's a comp? And I also hate the comp game. And I'm sitting there thinking, what does Rashad White remind me of in an NFL standpoint, right? And it, just to, so obviously you got to think of a name that someone could just remember. And I was like, think of first, second year, David Johnson. That is kind of what he can give you. And I really believe that. And I think if you get the most out of him, that's exactly what he can give you. The irony of it is that was before the draft. All of a sudden he gets taken with the 91st overall pick by Tampa Bay. The head coach of Tampa Bay is Bruce Arians, who also obviously, as we know, was the head coach of a young David Johnson and showed the world just what David Johnson's ceiling was at that point in time before injuries really took over his career, unfortunately. If Bruce Arians can get a David Johnson-like production early on out of Rashad White, that is terrifying for the rest of the league. But that would also be the reason that I am making him my final pick in this game because in a weird way, I want to see that success. Just hopefully it doesn't lead them to championships. Yeah, obviously we want the Bills to win, but I would love nothing more to see Rashad White finally be an ASU running back in the NFL succeed for once. There was Kalen Balage, there's Eno Benjamin, which maybe there's still hope for an Eno Benjamin, but there's a long line. I mean, even I'll go back as far as Ryan Terrain. That's a name, man. The ASU alum. He had that one game for Denver years and years and years ago. Yeah. Like, oh my God, is he going to do something? No, nothing ever came of it, sadly. But I loved watching Ryan Terrain back in the day at ASU. That was when I was a little kid. You know, not little, little, but little enough that it's, you know, little kid just seeing his guy in the NFL now, maybe he turns into something. But ASU running backs just seem to never work out. And it's like, I want one to finally work. And this seems like this could finally be the chance. So with my last pick, the final pick in this big three game, I have to also give a nod to my boy, Rashad White, out of ASU, being drafted 91st overall to Tampa Bay. I'm going to agree with you, and not because just because I feel bad about stealing your pick uh, <laughs> out of order. Um, I really like him. I think he has the skill set to be a three-down back if that's what's needed. I think he's an instant upgrade over Ronald Jones, who left for Kansas City in the offseason. Um, you know, the path to playing time might be tricky here, one. Fournette's obviously going to be the guy they're going to sprinkle in some Gio Bernard here and there, but what a great running back room to go in and learn from and save some tread on his tires. And I see him as a guy that if you're in a fantasy football dynasty league, you get into the second or third round and he's just sitting there, take a flyer on him because I mentioned before when the bills took James cook, he was the last running back outside of James cook that I was super interested in for the bills on day two. I think when we were talking about Brees Hall, if you weren't going to go Brees Hall in round one, he was the guy that had those similar Brees Hall skills, just like a little bit toned down in all areas. And it's funny, Luca, you mentioned David Johnson, and it's not that I forgot about David Johnson, but I had forgotten, I hadn't forgotten, but you just, you don't think about it, how dominant he was early in his career. And I almost wish like we would have talked about that on the Brees Hall conversation because that certainly would be a reason for not taking a running back in the first round is look how dominant David Johnson was, but just look how quickly injuries can catch up with a running back and turn a dominant player into a very average player. And then you just have to hope that um, the Texans trade for him and trade away their best receiver, but that's neither here nor there. And that's a good pick. 
And uh, I did mention I want to make fun of the Patriots. So we might as well get it out there. In the first round, the Patriots picked guard Cole Strange, which caught everybody off guard. Luca, did you see the Sean McVay video? Oh, of course. Had to. The, um, I'm trying to think uh, who's the individual sitting next to him. Um, that was Les Snead, their GM. Was it Les Snead? And they okay. both looked speaking. like they knew they didn't oh. have any picks that night, and they were partaking in some I, drinking. I, yeah, they were definitely enjoying themselves on the opening night because obviously they didn't have a pick. And um, I think he even gives them a look, not like aggressive or anything, but I think he gives uh, Mc, uh, McVeigh a look like, hey, don't don't spill everything. You know, we're, we're sitting in front of Mike's. You know, is he was... <laughs> <laughs> the 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 pure shock that this guy just got drafted in the first round when they had a day three grade on him was just priceless. I so one of my frustrations with the draft and and analyzing the draft and fan reaction after the draft is the you you have some like canned responses that fans say not all fans but. You can almost like you see somebody say something negative on Twitter and you just go through the comments and you're going to see this comment. And, you know, your, your team just took a player. You want to be excited about it. And on the Cole Strange pick, it was like every analyst you saw had said, you know, I kind of liked him as like a mid-round flyer, but never thought he was going to be in the first round. And you'd see Patriots fans going on there and saying, well, if he turns out to be an all pro guard, nobody's going to care what price you paid for him. Let me tell you, Patriots fans, about a little term called net value. The definition of net value is an individual's net worth is simply the value that is left after subtracting liabilities from assets. That's how you can determine what net value is. It's the value of investment funds, assets, less the liabilities. What does that mean? Okay, Luca, pretend that you're going to go buy a TV. You want to buy a TV to upgrade your sports cave in your basement, and you put in months of research. You want to get the right size, the right specs, the right sound. You, it has to fit everything that's on your wants. And you find out that the perfect model that fixed everything that you want out of a television is for sale at Best Buy, and you get in your car, and you go up there, and you buy it for $1,500. And you bring it home and you hook it up and you're super excited. The next day you look in the Walmart ads and you see it's on sale for a thousand dollars, the same exact model. Now, Luca, this TV could turn out to be the best TV you ever owned in your life, checking all the boxes you ever wanted from a TV. But if you had bought it at Walmart, you'd have all those same boxes checked and $500 in your pocket. So, Yes, it does matter what they paid because if he turns out to be a Hall of Fame, Pro Bowl, whatever you want to call it, offensive guard, sure, great pick. But it could have been a great pick in the third round and they still would have had their first round pick to use on something else. Why this isn't a perfect example of net value is you never really know where players are going to go in the draft. In that example, you can see what Best Buy sold the TV for and what Walmart sold the TV for. It's easy to say. For all we know, the Minnesota Vikings picking at pick 30, maybe they had Cole Strange as a first-round prospect and they were going to take him. Who knows? That's the magic of the draft. My instincts tell me, based on what all the experts said, based on Les Snead and Sean McVay laughing at the pick, that the Patriots jumped a little bit too early there. So I would say to those Patriots fans, it doesn't matter if he turns out to be great. It does matter. You overpaid. 
Doesn't matter what happens in the long run. The investment was way too high. Cole Strange, Luca, ready for this? Was a very strange pick. Oh, there it is. I was waiting for it. it it's such an easy name to do it. And I know you're the guy that would want to do it. There it is. Got That's to. Boom. Perfect end to it. Uh, well said. It, it was <laughs> hysterical. <laughs> I still I still cannot believe that pick happened. And I, I honestly, I will say this too. I feel bad for the kid. I feel bad for the actual player yeah. involved. It's not fair to him that the Patriots seemingly reached like they did to grab him. I'm happy for him. He's going to get a lot more money than he expected. Yeah, he is. <laughs> so good, good on him. I'm happy for him. It sucks that he's going to be a Patriot and all of this as well. Why couldn't it have been another team? And it's like, you know, all those Patriot fans can clap back all they want, but you just said it perfectly. It, there is no world that you can justify the pick made based on where everyone else had him valued. It just doesn't make sense. And uh, it's funny. It's always going to be fun to poke jabs at. It's funny too, because I feel bad for him. Um, Not only because he got made fun of on national TV, but he probably didn't get to enjoy his draft party. It was probably scheduled for Friday or Saturday night. And he's probably out shooting hoops in his driveway and gets a text. Hey, the Patriots just took you. Oh, okay. Thanks. So fun pick for the Patriots, um, proving once again that they just, they don't draft well. I know they one time a long time ago hit on a sixth round pick that turned out to be maybe the greatest quarterback anybody's ever seen. And that carried them to championships that every other team is jealous of. But when you look under the hood of the Bill Belichick area of the Patriots, there's a lot of questionable picks. And this draft was filled with questionable picks for the Patriots. Although I did love what they did in the third round. Well, Luca, we're at the two hour and 40 mark. We broke down the bills draft. We had our big three game, even though I kind of cheated and picked ahead of you in the third round. So what's next next week, we are going to uh, take a little bit deeper dive into certain positions that we think the bills still need to address. uh, Now that the smoke is cleared from the draft the dust is settled. We kind of will take a longer look at some of these position groups. Where can they still add some talent? What's available to them in free agency? How much money do they have? We'll take a look at those position groups. Uh, we also are going to be uh, within a week of the schedule getting released. I believe it's getting released on May 12th in our next episode. Looking at a calendar. I don't have it in front of me. I think our next episode That'll is going to hit May 11th, right? That's right. Yeah, I was going to say we're recording on May 10th and it'll release on May 11th. So, yeah, it'll basically be we're discussing and hopefully we'll have a live reaction, essentially. So, yeah, we will be uh, talking about who the Bills are going to play. We know that. But when are they going to play? Are they going to have a bunch of primetime games? Are they going to have the opening game against the Rams? Are they going to be playing on Thanksgiving against the Lions? We're going to speculate about all of that. And we're just going to play another big three game. And you guys know the drill. We're going to talk about anything and everything Bills football. So we thank you for hanging out with us on Bills Chat, a pro football podcast. And we will see you again next week. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Bills Chat, a pro football podcast. Follow us on Twitter if you're not already, at Bills Chat Pod, 
And also be sure to subscribe to this channel on whatever platform it is you choose to spend your time listening to us every week. Look forward to talking to you all again next time.